back to another episode of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me today, I have Josh Torres. Why are the Moogles so ugly? We have James Galizio. Hey, you take that back. We have Chow Min Wu. Okay, Koopo. And then joining us today, we've got Josh Tolentino. Good morning. Hey, Josh. And then uh, just a you know, kind of side note here. We, we will refer to Josh Tolentino as Josh 2, and then Josh Torres as Josh or Josh 1. Yeah, or we can't do, we can't do it like Josh lines. T because we can't, we are, both of our last names starts with T, so it can't be Josh T either. Can't even do Josh, uh, Josh T.O. either. It's like, yeah. yeah. A second Josh T has hit the Tetrahast. That's right. There we go. So if you listen to our Game of the Year cast from, you know, early in January, Josh, both Joshes were on that podcast as well. So you have heard both these voices before. Um, the reason why we have invited both Joshes to this episode of the TetraCast, very clearly today, our main focus of discussion is going to be on the release of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Of course, we were able to talk about this very briefly last week because the review embargo had lifted, but the game hadn't fully released yet. So uh, myself and James, who had early access to the game, talked about it a little bit just to try to tee it up. But we kind of pushed the main discussion of Final Fantasy VII Remake to this week because now the game's out um, and everyone that I've introduced has had a chance to at least start playing it. So Josh, too, myself and James were able to get some early access to the game. And then Chow and Josh have been playing the game since its release. So... We'll be kind of talking about all of our experiences with Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Now, before we get started, I'm going to give Josh to the floor first because he was the one that reviewed the game for us. But just so everyone's aware, this is going to be a spoiler-free discussion. We're not going to say this is what happens to who in what order. We're just going to talk about our impressions of the game kind of at the same level that you would if you were reading a review of the game. We'll talk about how we feel about the story, about the characters, about the combat. We'll talk about locations. We'll talk about... Uh, how we're enjoying the game, what we like, anything that we don't like. So we will not spoil anything if you're worried about if you're if you're playing through the game and you haven't reached the end. Don't worry, we're not going to say. I, anything I think it's fair if like line. if we can say anything about like the opening cutscene because I think that's something worth talking about. I guess from the p- people who are like who press new game on this. Yeah, okay, like, that's good. That's a good well, point. The, like the first five minutes, like okay, what the fuck? <laughs> you yeah, know? okay, yeah. Like we yeah, we will talk was... as if you've been able to boot up the game and play for an hour, and at least give you you know the premise of how the game is is set up in that fashion. So, and then of course, if uh, obviously we have the magic of post process editing or whatever, so we will always we can make sure to go through our podcast recording at the end to uh, make sure that it's all trimmed up and safe to listen to if you haven't finished the game yet and. Uh, we will likely keep any sort of spoiler considerations to an end of the year cast. I'm talking about how we're ranking the game at the very end um, in several months time. But for now, a spoiler free kind of review, a group review and a group like in progress, you know, impressions of Final Fantasy VII Remake. So without further ado, uh, I'll hand it off over to Josh Two first, who put up a review on our website, rpgsite.net for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. And I know me and you and others, including James and Alex, have been in discussion for the last several weeks as we've been playing through this game. But I'll just leave it to you because there's a ton to talk about in terms of the different ways we can tackle this discussion. But I'll just kind of let you take the reins and talk about your time with the game, writing the review for it, and your thoughts on it. Okay, yeah. Uh, Hi, once again, Josh Tolentino here. I wrote the review for 
Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. And I think this is something that a couple of other... not I, I kind of wish I had mentioned it in my review, but um, I believe this was the... Uh, uh, I think this is a tagline from The Verge, and I, I really agree with it. And they say it's kind of a AAA game with the soul of 1997 kind of animating it. And that's really how I felt at the time. It's not just that... Not just that... Um, not just out of the sense that these are characters who were from 1997 and thereabouts, but um, in the sense like you've got a mentality in it that a that that's you don't see as much anymore in games that are made on this scale. Um, uh, for better or worse, it's like a triple A game from 1997 had managed to worm its way into a modern into a modern AAA game process and they blended together and made something that really sort of transports you back to 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 that time to that feeling while still keeping a bunch of like uh modern game design considerations like especially with being a massive open world game that takes several I'd say it takes maybe twice as long to complete as uh as the as the original i think unless you were really into grinding stuff in the original ps1 version like um and narratively and the thing is is also narratively it's um it's kind of a sequel um i'm not i'm honestly not sure how how um to predict how some folks might react if this is their very first brush with final fantasy 7 if the only thing they've ever heard of it was other people talking about the PS1 game before it but um there's a lot of stuff here that kind of I wouldn't say it relies on you being familiar with the I mean on you having played the original but it's kind of it's it's just like Final Fantasy 7 remake it's in conversation with the whole of everything that's happened in Final Fantasy is in Final Fantasy like seven fiction over the last is it I think it's about twenty the, the like the compilation of uh, FF seven yeah. project yeah yeah so. there's the the like that that stuff like Advent Children even like Crisis Core all of those games sort of inform it they may not I'm not sure if they be considered required I wouldn't I I I don't really feel that they'd be called required reading. But there's really a sense that it's referring to things that you're not 100, that may not, not be 100% aware of if you haven't been in deep with the compilation. And, um, and, and then it's also got like a lot of fan service for people who remember that stuff. Like, um, and uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because I wrote the review four years, four years ago, four years ago for Remake on the site. And I said, um, one thing that remake kind of does is that it's it's sort of self-aware and it assumes it, it almost subtle, not so subtly implies that it kind of it's, it makes the assumption that the player is also aware kind of even if they're not and that's where i that's kind of i didn't know like how i felt about that at the time it's like even at the starting of this podcast should i assume that people know how I guess we should make the assumption that anyone going into rebirth knows how remake plays out and then you go back you know you, you dial it back one level do people playing remake know how the original turned out? And the answer is not always. So that kind of makes discussing like 
whether this is a semi-sequel or a true sequel or a retelling or kind of multiple things at once, a little bit tricky, which I'm okay with because it's it makes the game kind of have an interesting like place in terms of its position within the larger media landscape of the seven compilation or whatever. But it does make kind of discussing its importance and it uh, tricky in that sense. Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's because you have so many audiences from different perspectives coming in. You have the people who played the original FF7 on PS1 and have a, a pretty good memory of the events that happened into it. Then you have the people who played that same game but have like an unreliable like it, they didn't they don't remember it quite as much. Like they kind of remember the gist of it of how something events laid out, but they don't exactly remember like the finer details or the beat by beat moment. Which is, you know, for uh, uh, that's perfectly natural for people who only played it once or twice, you know, who haven't played it recently. Then you have newcomers going to FF7 remake for the first time who never, who never played FF7 before, but they've heard of it through osmosis, through popular conversation throughout the years in games of like, you know, when people talk about what happened in FF7 or the most popular moments and these characters. A lot, a lot of people who never played the original FF7 do know who Cloud and Sephiroth are, you know? Um, because it's just it, that those characters, those two have just been so ubiquitous throughout gaming media over the years. Then yet then you consider like the dual meaning of of, of remaking the top uh, both between like it is a remake of the FF seven of like, you know, this part of the game, but it's also a remake in the sense it's like it's kind of its entire th- whole new entire thing as well that like even people who played the original are exposed to a lot of new things that weren't present in the original and so on and then now we're all going into this new second installment of this new telling of ff7 together of like we don't exactly know where they're gonna take this but i think that's the exciting part about it of lessons learned from the past and where they want to take this after expanding the universe of ff7 so much throughout the years and i think it's just, they're working on so many levels and trying to and having to like think about th- those different sorts of audiences from different perspectives coming in it must be such a challenge especially to for the second part of a trilogy how do you make this as important as iconic as like the first part of the trill of this ff7 like remake trilogy right i played i replayed in in preparation for final fantasy 7 remake because i was reviewing it i replayed final fantasy 7 which is a bit silly but also a bit not because you know you can play through the midgar portion of, of the original game in five hours uh but i played through the whole thing so i reminded myself of basically everything that takes place that would have, you know, it's it was four years ago, but relatively fresh in my mind for Rebirth. And one thing, like if I had not replayed Final Fantasy VII, the story events that Rebirth covers was what most of my memory remembered. So basically, it's it's disc one, remake mm-hmm. and Rebirth is disc one of the original game. I kind of had to sit, think to myself, like, wait a minute, what's past disc one? Like I had to learn. Oh yeah, the. Uh, the event, I'm not gonna say what the events are, because the the events of disc one are kind of where you meet all the characters. It's where you're introduced to most of the locations. There are some somewhat iconic things after disc one, but like you have like the, the huge materia quest or whatever, which is not well received, uh, or in my opinion, anyways. But like when when back in 2015, when we had the E3 of Dreams, where 
Final Fantasy VII Remake was announced. Most of the events in my mind about like I, the events I was looking forward to seeing fully realized in a new version of the game take place here in Rebirth. This is the game I think people, most people were waiting for in terms of seeing those events, those characters, those locations reimagined in, in this new light. Of course, at the time, we had no idea what they were going to do with the, the Whisper storyline and all that stuff. But I, for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, it, it is very present, especially how the game opens up, and we'll talk about that. But for a lot of the runtime, just like in Remake, it takes like a similar level of backseat where it, prevent, it presents the events of the original game more or less intact. There are some nuanced differences, and uh, depending on the context, we, we might go or not go into those. Uh, but the, the you, you'll go to Costa del Sol and Cosmo Canyon and all the other locations that you would in the original game, and they're so well-realized, and I'll talk about that more later. But going back to Josh 2's original point, this game is like even it, it was described and marketed as having kind of like this open world wide linear almost xenoblade-esque um kind of format to it where you're like you're outside early on in the game and you played the demo you saw this uh you're in the two regions of the grassland and then in the demo uh, the junon region outside of those and that's basically like the first two major locations in the game and if you exhaust those locations like i saw people i was kind of re- wa- uh following up on like reddit comments and forums and twitter like people are not going to like pass the first region until like 10 hours into the game. And like, yep, that kind of aligns with my my time. Like each area of the game can take like 10, 12, 15 hours if you exhaust it. And that is very different from remake, where it's mostly more or less you're being pulled along a linear path and you have a few sections in the slums and in uh, sector seven where you'll get you'll have a smattering of quests to do with either Tifa or Aerith. But for the most part, you're just kind of following the pre-described route where Rebirth doesn't really have that. My d- friend described this as a shitty Ubisoft game without <laughs> Fantasy Seven characters. That's, that's I, I kind of I kind of get it, but you know, it's like uh, the way I see it, it's I like a say shitty. But, I, well, uh, I do. Well, I mean, I, I I have a friend too that does not like the open world stuff at all in this game. That's totally mm-hmm. understandable. Like, they, like I just you know, at this point, they're just probably gonna mainline it because you're just like, yeah, they feel like it's too much busy work. The open world stuff does like it, it bothers it's the overwhelming just, like, when they just throw that right at once i was like wow there's like a million new mechanics there's all this it's like holy shit what is going on and some people definitely didn't enjoy it i mean we even got like an experience from page's ex- experience with this game that he did not like this at all like uh, it's you know it's not for everybody but you know i'm open to it you know yeah um for me, like I've played verse open world stuff, so it's not like to say to say like the open world stuff in here is bad, but like I played so many other open world games that just like did this formula much worse. And in for me in Rebirth, like it's varied enough where it's like a, for a roller coaster. Some parts I, I like, some parts I dislike. Like get, going through the shrines to make the summons, you know, you can learn more lore about the summons, but to make them weaker for those fights, um, that gets repetitive. But I'm like, okay, it's whatever. But then there's like other like side quest like the second proto relic thing in in the juno like in the junon region like that whole storyline i won't say what it is it's it's hilarious it's funny it's weird but it's great and i'm just like it's this got is, the this charm is of the of the 90s you know like 90s yeah. like i have a lot of like uh dorky mm-hmm. things you know yeah and most people are like oh are you are you serious like that tells you that guy never played og ff7 uh, like for me like and the the key thing about the open world thing for me in Rebirth is like it doesn't really overstay its welcome like how other games would do it. Where like it feels 
like traversing to the next point feels like it takes fucking forever where you have to climb like a huge ass mountain to get to like the next spot for example like like a a thing that comes to mind is like Assassin's Creed Valhalla where it just feels like it took forever to get like to the to where you wanted to go on in, in that map because it was so big um and here it's like you can get to these places really fast when you, if you have when you have a chocobo you can like, there's a pretty robust fast travel system where it's not just limited to chocobo spots it's at every single like location that you completed you know, that that acts as a fast travel spot now so it's like getting around the map goes by really quickly and like and it the open world stuff barely takes like maybe four to five hours uh really depending on how thorough you are but you can just kind of, kind of go zoom through it really fast and have a good time there'll be some parts that you like some parts that you dislike generally speaking it's not going to be like a fucking masterpiece every time like for example like the enemy intel stuff is like the the subjectives are kind of dumb because like some of the subjects are like go stagger like pressure an enemy stagger an enemy and then kill them in the time limit generally and then the some of the challenges with so, this stuff is like I'm killing them faster than I can like stagger them. For example, it's like yeah, okay. there's no way you can complete those tasks once you're over leveled, right? Well, I, I mean, just have to like kind of like take a backseat to it, where like you pressure, you activate the pressure condition, and then like I would switch the Tifa, for example, just spam her basic attack to raise the 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 stagger gauge up very fast, and I just have to take it slower instead of just like killing them immediately because that's what the sub objective says. It's not, it's not the most amazing or engaging thing ever but i'm just like okay i i uh, i'll i'll play that the way that you want it to because it's like it's just so it, it goes by so fast like it's not a big deal especially like the instant retry on those missions it's like if you fuck it up the first time you can just like immediately retry it right then then and there and go at it again so i think it's for me i already enjoy rebirth a lot more than i did in remake because of that open design you get to see just inherently, right? Like, um, there's more of uh, a variety of scenery, uh, more variety of places that you visit. There's more this variety in the, the things that you're engaging in, the activities that you're doing. It's just like, and you're kind of doing something different, like every twenty minutes in this game, um, which is, you know, a, a nice thing. Bro, like in remake, it's really cool to see that Midgar realized and what it looks like in a modern, like with modern technology. But like that that corridor gameplay and like there's so many, and it, it was designed for the PS4 first and foremost. So you had like the some environmental design that was like just so slow, like going squeezing through those narrow corridors often. Um, having yeah, there's to like, some of that in Rebirth, but it's much lessened. Yeah, it's much lessened. And and in my replay of remake, just like a week ago, in prep for this game. It's just, like, the thing that stuck out to me in that is, like, there's so many times in that game that, like, you cannot start controlling your character until, like, maybe three to four seconds after, like, a scene happens. Because it's, like, it's just kind of, like... You're forced to walk. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're just kind of, like, forced to watch, like, this frame for, like, three to four seconds before it allows you to, like, control the character again. It's, like, why? I don't know why, but it's just, like... 
And it's kind of it's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. That's what happens when you're on the PS4. Had to use that inferior hardware, you know. Right. So, so I, I know it's probably just an inherent design thing when they're when they were making the game. And that, while Rebirth kind of lessens that, it's not necessarily completely not completely. Gone, there was one it's... thing that was hilarious. I'm playing on performance mode. I was in mm-hmm. that Junon, and there was a cutscene where you're talking to like the mayor. Won't spoil what happened, but yeah. you're talking to the mayor. I could see yeah. the backgrounds like trying to load the texture that oh, yeah, disappeared, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it comes back. Yeah, there's definitely that technical issues, but in general, like you know, I'm willing to take those technical issues for a, a more solid frame rate, smoother frame. So, Josh, you know, Josh, that. too. What did you think of the open world? Um, there's definitely, yeah, especially if you have, or like, if you're like mentally, if you're completely done with that style of open world stuff, I can totally see where people are coming from who did not like it. But for me, it's like, um, I think there's a, I think, I'm not sure if I mentioned it in my review, but it definitely felt like, you know, even open world bullshit is, um, is, is fun if you're doing it with friends. And these people kind of have been friends, quote unquote, of mine for like, for, for the last 20 years. So, I mean, this is coming from someone who did play Final Fantasy VII at the time and who did enjoy remake because I'm seeing all these characters again. And they're all in high res and all of that, so it's like I'm. Uh, it's kind of. I don't, I wouldn't say that they are my friends, but they're definitely. They have so much more presence. They have so much more character by by the, by the strength of that that lore that's built up over however however many decades, and they're there. And then that, that's fine. Like I can. I mean, I I'll I'll climb a tower with you, Barrett. I'll climb a tower <laughs> and and put some icons on the map. I mean, it's not all. I mean, they're not all winners. But like, like you said, like with the variety that that's happening in this open world, and that you're always doing it, that you're always doing it with these guys, with these buddies, and um, yeah, it's like it 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 feels like it, it feels like it matters. I mean, well, you, you, nice get, you get you is... get kind of invested in it, and then it's like like and all of these activities are kind of connected, or most of them anyway. I mean, the tower climbing. There is no connection except the Chadley and his Chad module, but <laughs> I like that. the Chad module, the Chad module, that's a really good. Anyway, uh, the 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 not everything is connected to the characters, but most of it is. It's like the the the, the side quests, especially there. You're all you've always got kind of a, a designated partner out of the party, and then when you do it, it, it increases your bond with them. No matter how much bullshit it is, it's like okay, I will. I will I will haul around this can to attract this 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 chicken. I will follow this dog across town and there will be there will be unique music for the dog and there's going to be a battle variant of that dog theme and the battle variant oh, goes oh, 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 Yeah, oh, oh. yeah, that, that that's a, that, that's a really <laughs> good point that you're going to uh, that, that you brought it that I was planning to bring up is like the, yeah, the the charm of these side activities uh, that you do in the open world and side quests yeah, yeah, is is there's unique music and there's unique conversations, like you mentioned, the dog escort side quest. There's unique music, and there's also a unique conversation between Cloud and Barrett. And Barrett, you know, mentions Marlene during that, you know, um, dog escort quest. And I won't go into the details of like what they chatted about and like the context of that quest. But like, it's like kind of nice, just like filling in, like you know, what your what these characters are thinking, what the what where their worries are, and you know, and just both past, present, and future for them, just kind of making them more believable. As characters that exist in this world, mm-hmm. 
I hear. I I think I've got a soundbite for it, but it's um a lot of open world bullshit. Kind of feels like it's there to make the game longer. And here, and that, and that's it's not. While Final Fantasy VII Rebirth isn't entirely free of that feeling, in some cases, it feel for me at least, it feels like it. Instead of making it feel like the game is longer, it makes it feel like it's coming from people who kind of care. Mm-hmm. Or it's coming yeah. from a place of, it's 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 coming from a place of, hey, we're making this so that you have time to hang out with your buds. Not, yeah, yeah. Not, we're making this so that this game, which is going to cost like, which costs most of you seventy dollars, is worth your money, as we think. Right. Well, one uh, thing that also kind of helps play into that variety aspect of it, it compared to remake, is that in remake, your party was is designated for you up until literally like the very end like the post game or here on on the outset you've got what five playable party members right out the outset well not including like the the Nibelheim flashback and the other things but as soon as you're in the open world you've got five playable party members so you have a little bit of you know little world choice and agency to use uh, I, I love I I love the feature that they did where you could just switch parties on the fly with just like two buttons you can switch to your party mm-hmm. members on the fly uh, out of the uh, like you know when you're roaming around that like I, I switched to Tifa and Aerith uh, as one party and then Barrett and Red as the other and I switch between them pretty frequently because I like playing them like the this game actually does like kind of the impossible right I actually I super enjoy playing everyone Aerith becomes enjoyable to me to, to me once you get her third weapon uh, before that it's kind of iffy but everyone else up until that point is like super enjoyable like they're like Barrett, I did not like playing remake. He feels amazing to play in Rebirth with the, uh, some of the changes that he got. Red is pretty fascinating, and and what they did to, for his quirk in um, Rebirth, where he has this vengeance mode uh, as he takes uh, as he blocks damage, but also just like generally good at like building up ATB really fast. It's like re- has really really good abilities uh, tied to his ATB. You know, um, Tifa has always been fun to play as. Cloud, but like the the thing with Cloud and Tifa is like they have way more aerial like capability and mobility now, so like they're really fun to play like both on the ground and now have like proper aerial combo strings and maneuverability. And it's just it's just the pace of combat in this game is so good. Like I can uh, I don't think I can ever go back to remakes combat flow <laughs> after rebirth. I, 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 just, I do have one question though. About uh-huh. Tifa's aerials, because I mean, this might be just me being bad at games, but how do you get her into the air? Synergy. She has uh, she has synergy skills that you'd use with other party members, where like they launch her off their web. Oh, uh, weapon. okay, yeah, that's tough. They're, you're right, right. With with Aerith, right? She does have a launcher. Okay, I, I use that. I also want to say. I also want to say. I did once not use you... synergy enough during that game. <laughs> yeah, I also want to say I'm pretty sure if she has at least one charge of the uh, the onslaught, I think it's what it's called, the, the stuff that buffs her, she can do an uppercut. And if you dodge right after the uppercut, you can continue like uh, attacking in the air. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I, I yeah, felt like cool. I learned all the game mechanics from doing a Titan fight over and over. I, like I learned how synergy works. Everything from that one fight alone, because I keep dying to it. I'm gonna yeah. have to rewrite a couple of guides. <laughs> yeah, that definitely like you know, um, experiment with like the synergy stuff because they become pretty handy with the way that like if you wanna, usually there's gonna be a synergy of like 
that'll compensate for like a, a character's like like battle mobility. Like like you said, Tifa getting the air is like kind of tough with her on her own. But like with synergy, that can be compensated. Like if it comes to air keeping air protected, she actually has synergy to like for characters to like take take the hits for her. So um, you could actually like oh, yeah, keep that her well. That, that was fun. Yeah. So that, like, that's pretty well regarded too. And you also have like no MP at like the beginning of the game, so it's like if you get hurt, you're like, how do I heal myself? It's like, oh, I'll use that synergy ability. Now I have unlimited MP for like a minute, right? So there's lots mm-hmm. of cool things that you kind of learn. From, yeah, the, the synergy stuff is really well implemented. Like the the the, the, the advances they made from intermission into rebirth, there's like the synergy how synergy actually is fleshed out. It's like really really fascinating. Um, and, and it's kind of funny too that like from intermission to rebirth. I was thinking, like, how are they going to solve the Yuffie problem? Because the Yuffie... I caught the Yuffie problem because Yuffie is so overpowered. <laughs> intentionally so, in intermission, because she has the elemental uh, Im- imbues on her shuriken. So she can just, like... She she is an elemental monster in intermission. It's like, how are they going to give, like, characters like that versatility? Like, like just, will just Yuffie be inherently, like, be the best character over the others? And, like, the folio system actually compensates for this because... As you're gaining like skill points, you can fill out this kind of like spear grid esque um, system that you can respec at any time, and you unlock new synergy abilities, skills, but also give um, each uh, character access to an elemental, a variety of elemental spells that they can do that don't spend MP and just cost ATB only instead. It's like, oh, okay, this is how they solve this problem by uh, giving characters access to elements. That uh, that they can just kind of cast for free to exploit um, ele- uh, elemental weaknesses on creatures to pressure them, and that's uh, that's a really cool way to do. It. I think the other thing I would change from the synergy is the UI. It's kind of hard to read it. It looks like, oh, do I need two bars with that character? It's like, no, you need three bars, and it, you know, I, I keep misreading the red. The know, pips, yeah, the little pips could definitely use some work on that. Why oh. it is kind of hard to read once you. Um, yeah, it got really confusing. It's like once I know, like, use it enough. It's like, oh, I, now I know why. It's like, why isn't this ability working? It's like that's why. I guess, I guess for the topic, um, Josh, like this, uh, obviously extended to everyone. But I want to hear Josh too uh, first on this. Like, when you came into this from remake to rebirth for the first time, in terms of, like the enhances the battle system. Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like how you, what you felt about it. It's like for the first time, it's like, wow, this is the battle system, how it's expanded, and like, tell me about that. My initial, I, I I kind of played Rebirth sort of like um, sort of a one and done. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, I didn't really dig too deep. In mm-hmm. fact, actually, that's that's kind of funny because for this for this uh, for this review, I kind of played it to the hilt. Um, oh, okay. I, I I by the time I was finished with the game, by the time I was finished, I'd gotten every world world intel stuff. I'm not fully done with the hard mode. Um, I'm I like I haven't. I haven't platinum the game or anything, but I definitely kind of played as much of the game as I could play before I finished that review. Whereas compared to remake, I was just kind of okay. I think I'm I'm not going to be doing too many challenges. I'm not going to try bar. I'm not going to bother too much with the summons. I don't think I earned. I mean, I was playing intergrade, and I don't think I earned Bahamut, um, and, and that sort of stuff in remake. But um. And the battle system is kind of part of that because before in remake, it was interesting, but I didn't really feel I wasn't feeling it too much. And in rebirth, it felt a lot better to, um, 
I mean to just kind of to, to kind of mess around with all to have to, to have more party members to have um this extra stuff. It actually um I played about half the time in um what was it called in classic mode where okay. where you can have the characters on autopilot uh, on sort of autopilot where they'll do their basic attacks and um they're they'll do their basic attacks automatically they'll evade and block automatically i mean it's not it's not foolproof i mean they 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 don't really move the way you would necessarily want them to move but for regular battles and for stuff that's not too complicated you can just kind of you only just have to uh, focus on Spending your ATB charges. In fact, and later on, you can get materia that sort of does that for you for the back for for if you if you'd prefer to just control one character at a time. Um, so I think the battle system is much improved here, and um, and as I mentioned, I haven't even fully unlocked all of its aspects. In fact, I haven't even discovered. I did not discover. Tifa's anti-air air, air capabilities as much as I should have or as I could have. So mm-hmm. there's a yeah, lot, a lot there's, of that. Yeah, yeah there's a lot more to... Un- there's, it, it feels... I'm much more motivated to unpack that stuff now uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to, to, to remake where, oh, I see, you're, you, this battle system's kind of deep, but I'm not invested enough in it to really unpack it because I just want to see what happens with... With Sephiroth and whatever, yeah, but yeah, yeah. here you, I feel, I feel more engaged with it, and that's and that's cool. Okay, I don't uh-huh. remember like if how exactly it worked in remake. I almost, I almost want to kind of go back. I do remember the synergy abilities in Integrate felt really kind of clunky to use, and they feel a lot more very just easy to use now. Like I'm not sure if it's the UI or I'm not sure if it's the the wind up time, but I just remember in Integrate I didn't really like them, and I'm I'm liking them a lot more here. Also, just the way this is this I do remember in, in remake to some extent. The the combos are slightly different if you like hold the button versus tap it. And then like for Cloud, that's doubly, you know, implemented on his like operator versus punisher modes. So like Cloud in his operator mode, if you hold just the attack button, he will like lunge at an enemy, including towards the air. So that's like how he can get airborne. Or if he's on the ground and then you like swing right after a dodge, he has the new like aerial slashes. Which is, if you want to keep your distance, a nice alternative. So that's kind of like a new capability for him as well. And then one thing about both the immersion, kind of going back and looping back into um, Josh Two's original point with like part- partying or exploring with your with your party of friends, is that regardless of which characters you bring with you in your actual battle party, like the other ones are always present. Now the mm-hmm. other ones, it's a little bit maybe goofy if you like if you overanalyze it because the the people that you don't have selected in your party will kind of be like crab walking around the perimeter of the batter- battlefield like they'll be present but there's like why won't you come in and like it, it's, it's trying it, to have I mean, both yeah. there and not at the same time it, it, yeah it looks like they're um, participating i'm sure it's just for appearance only but it's just like to make it more believable the, like, yeah it's immersive. Okay, yeah it's immersive it's immersive and from the back it's like i'm helping and, then <laughs> and Barrett, the nice thing the fun thing is for like single digit damage and from the from the sideline yeah. <laughs> and, and then like if you have like your two in-person party members down, you can do synergy abilities with your like backline, which is kind of a fun little uh, a fun little thing. Like, oh, I need I need help, Barrett, come in. So you can, it does have a little bit of that there. And not only that, but like when you're doing quests, each quest is assigned a particular party member, sure, but the other party members are present and there's dialogue, there's you know emotion or kickback back and forth, um, and which is unlike you know in. We talk about in remake. One of the kind of gripes of that game is that it had "quote unquote" bad quests, and I know that's not a 
you know, that's not an axiom. Some people might think otherwise. But in Rebirth, the way the quests are improved is that it's not just limited to here's one chapter where I'm doing quests with Tifa in Sector uh, 6, and then here's one quest with Aerith uh, where I'm doing all of her quests in Chapter 7. Like, it's the whole cast. It, it, it incorporates a lot more characters, new NPCs, old NPCs. Um, it introduces a lot of them have kind of like mini bosses attached where it's like oh this is an upgraded version of this or sometimes it's not even like a, a recolored enemy it's like a new enemy that's unique to that quest um like there's a question i believe the junon region where you in where you meet kyrie Kyrie again and it's kind of a fun quest there's just like the dog escort it has like a, its own little unique like battle track uh and then it has like a mini boss at the end that doesn't really fight like any other boss in the area uh, for just kind of a, a little simple quest. And I, I forget even which character it's explicitly assigned to because the m- multiple characters are involved. And just having the whole cast it's present. Uh, Red. Was, Red, Red was that one. I just did it yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but just having having the five party members initially and then throughout the course of the game, you do get Yuffie, you do get uh, Kate Sith, Kate She, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and uh, Yuffie is treated like a full party member. Like she will get her own quest too. Ketchy is a little bit different. I guess I'm, I'll just like leave, leave it at that. Like he's he's a full party member in battle, but I think you get him too late for most of the quests to like interact with him completely. Uh, but they, they're all they're all kind of incorporated into the into the party pretty well. Yeah, uh, I do I, I do appreciate that. Where like just most side quests just uh, usually have one or multiple characters that like at the end of it, it's like you you you'll it'll show you like your relationship with this person has changed or has increased whatever. It's just a nice little touch of like you know you're kind of building your bond party members over time by engaging. Oh, I also found size. another. Sorry, I, mm-hmm. I yeah, I understand. But there's a there's another little fun attention to detail. This this really isn't that consequential, but I really enjoy that they did this. So Kyrie is involved in one side quest in the first area in the grasslands, and she's involved in later side quests like the tower in the Junon region in this the next area. Um, when I was replaying the game through some chapter select. I was doing some of the quests out of order. And because she was present in a later area, I go back to do the quest in the initial area. And instead of being Kyrie, it was like, a, I think, a Moogle doll with her hat. And she's like, I'm sorry, I was double booked. But here, can you please do this for me? So the game actually like took account for like, we don't want this character to appear in two places at once. So if you do the quest in order, in linearly, as you go through the game, um, then you won't run into that. But uh if you go back, because you eventually you do unlock, like when you're in the second region, you do the chocobo quest there. You can then ride them back to the first area. So you always have the option. There's really no missables in this game, even prior to chapter select, because you can always go back to the previous area in some fashion. And when you do that, it takes account for which characters might no longer be in that area and moved on. So it's a little just tiny attention to detail that I'm glad they yeah. did, rather than having it just be like, oh, it's a game. Don't worry about it. One tiny little attention to detail that I just ran into. Uh earlier today was I, I'm in the, the the narrative segment of the Junon region up until like the, the march that um, they, they showed off in trailers. Um, during that march you do get a uniform change and I was like oh I forgot to do the Phoenix uh, summon battle uh, let me go do that right now because you meet Chadley at some part of it and like it had like it reflected like you know the uniform changes that uh, some of my characters underwent during that fight I'm like oh I love that actually so I just have like Barrett in this like this goofy uniform <laughs> during that fight. I'm like, oh, this is lovely. This is this is awesome, actually. So I, I it's just like little little stuff like that in the game. That's like that it counts for like you did this like in like a weird order, but like well, you will let it rock, you know. 
and that that's awesome. I, I and also just around that segment of like you know of how the things that you do up until that march is like the, the there's like little dialogue and like for 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 that section on, on other NPCs that like I just like really really like that I like that just it just kind of fleshes it out like in a really awesome new way that's like oh that's really cool that like they kind of characterize these people that like you'll never think about again after this segment but in the moment you're just like that's cool that they had like little small conversations and i think that's reflected around like gonna be reflected about like every part about this game like just attention to detail like npc conversation and interaction like in the starting town of calm you see like some if you're if you're if you notice it like you'll see some characters having a slap fight You'll you'll run run across this like kind of like not comedian but kind of like this drama actor uh, at some part of Calm talking about like his life story or something like that, and it's just like you just see like just like weird things that NPCs are doing. You're just like cool, <laughs> you know. That's awesome that they did that. The the NPC chatter is actually pretty well done, and my most recent point of comparison is Infinite Wealth. Uh-huh. In that game, if you're like running around that Anaconda Mall, you hear like the same two or three lines yeah, over yeah. and over again. Or uh, you'll hear like the same male voice go like, "Time for another vacation," or, or whatever they say. Or the goons will say like, um, "This ain't a show, shithead." Or and then, <laughs> but in the, but in this, so you hear the same. Where it kind of loses, it ends up feeling like a video game because there's not enough variety in the lines. Where here, there's like bespoke conversations where like you'll like there'll be. Uh, just meet two characters. I think it's two ladies that you meet in the crow's nest area mm. uh, in the grasslands. And they like, I forget, I forget if it's implied or explicit, but they like start dating and you see them like throughout the, the rest of the areas. Or you can just hear people talk about like the ships coming into port at Costa de Sol. Like there's a lot of variety. Like if you just wander around, like I almost think what, one thing would be kind of an interesting video to make is ignoring the main story just going around town and like recording all the idle NPC conversations that happen just because there's, there's a good variety of them. And this, this kind of, this is kind of leading up to my thesis. And I kind of, I kind of touched on this last week, but this is the first game that really makes me feel that square has nailed HD towns. It's kind of touched it before in like 13, two and a little bit in 15 and 16, but there, the, the sheer variety and locations uh, in just how much happens in each, how much there is to do in each location. They're not just setting, setting dressing. Mm-hmm. It just makes you feel like, and coming as, I think we've all played the original Final Fantasy VII. My understanding is that we've all played it when we were young, with the exception of James, who played it between Remake and Rebirth. Um, and just seeing, like, all these areas get fully realized, and with plenty to do. Like, you go to Costa del Sol, and there's a million things to do. Maybe in under Junon, there's not quite as much, but they flesh out the characters that are there. Like, the, the mayor character, I believe she's an original character. I don't remember if she has a I think she, I think she is OG, I believe. Yeah. And then Priscilla was the, the child character. She's from the original game, and she's fleshed out a little bit. And I do think, like, when they had to add NPCs to this game, they I, I can't point my finger on why, but they just feel a lot more realized. Like, I'm trying to think of the different characters that are asking you to, like, go into the random warehouse and, and remake, and I barely remember what they look like or or who they are or what their names were. But I'm like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, Rhonda, the, the mayor of Under Junon, or or Broden, the, the ex-soldier, like, innkeeper that you meet. Like, the, the NPCs that they add, we're not running into Leslie trying to find the ring of his unnamed <laughs> dead fiancé. That, that, that was a low point. That was a low point. Gotta say. <laughs> yeah, 
So this when the areas where they do flesh out this game, they do it a lot. It feels a lot more natural now rather than like we padding. It doesn't feel like padding and rebirth. It, when it, it feels kind of like padding. more personal because they, they take into account the state of like where the story is at. Like Broden and Ronda, for example, they know that like you're Avalanche. Uh Rhonda is mm-hmm. funny because like she looks at her tablet and she looks at the bounties of your characters. <laughs> You know, and that and that makes her a memorable character just by that like little action. because like no one, no other NPC in the world, uh, as far as I have in the fucking story right now, like does that. And that what makes her memorable is through that little interaction with uh, Broden. You know, very very early on, like he's the one telling you to get get into the basement. He's like, and I remember, I always remember the line of Broden. I was like, I, I I hope this isn't like the worst mistake I'm doing in my life now. You know, um. And you learn a little bit more about Broden uh, through side quest lines uh, later on. In that, uh, in that, and it's like that's that's kind of like just like these little touches that kind of makes these characters way more realized than they probably should. But it's just like that 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 leaves a mark uh, on your playthrough. Uh, just engaging with these characters, these, and that's and the one character you meet on early is Billy from the Chocolate Ranch, who's also yeah. a returning character and. Uh, without spoiling anything else, like Billy will show up multiple times throughout the game. And he, is he a major character? No, but it just helps. It just helps the world feel more developed. It's not just like, oh, this person is only present for chapter two and then they're gone because that's the, that was the role in the game. It's like, no, they'll show back up. And of course they would because it, it, they come in all varieties, too, because like it's like it gets people like, for example, because I I, I, I am a Queen's Blood fiend uh, in this game. I'm a, I'm a, a blood acolyte. <laughs> I'm a blood acolyte right now. OK, Um and one of the people that like you go up to in the crow's nest is like they're they're part of this like this queen's blood committee group and like their mission is to like to establish peace talks with shinra through card games (laughs) that's that's, what the fuck i'm like hell yeah you know what sign me up let's fucking play (laughs) all like the people that you challenge in queen's blood are like eccentric in some way yeah cry baby ned was like constantly crying. It's like, oh no! You know, I, I'll be honest. I lost to Crybaby Ned a few times. You did? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's fine. But it's uh, that's fine. That, like, it's very easy to retry and like think about your strategy. Yeah. And, and like, and th- that's the kind of the nice thing about like Queen's Blood. Where it's like, even if you're not too great at card games, you know, you can like kind of like stick to like you, you'll find like some some cards that like you are generally powerful that you cling to, and like you can. You can kind of brute force it because it's inherently powerful that Cloud always gets the first and and the Queen's Blood mm-hmm. matches. As far as I like, I don't know if that changes. But right now, as I'm going through the storyline, like you're you'll be fine. Like you know, it's not it's not like the most complicated card game. It's simple and like tactical enough that you'll you know you'll generally have a good time of like just kind of learning it and like figuring out your go to strategies of like what's effective. So like that that game is like. That card game, they've kind of struck gold with Seeds Blood for me. Where I'm like, I'm a the first thing I do when I go to a new times, I go to the item store, I buy all the booster packs. That's I'm down bad. That's majority of my gill so far has been buying booster packs for that fucking card game. Damn. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Square Enix to make a real Queen's Blood official game. Man, uh, I'd have a do. Um, it'd be a nightmare for me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I could see myself getting super addicted to it. So. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I mentioned this on the I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. My only gripe with Queen's Blood is that there's just almost not enough of it because mm-hmm. each area will mm-hmm. have like two or three 
people you can play. Then when you get to the gold saucer, there's a little bit more you can do. And in Costa del Sol, there's a little bit more you can do. It sounds like I'm being like greedy and maybe I am because it's like there's 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 plenty of Queen's Blood stuff. But I just almost wish there was more. Uh, and of course, I have to do this. I'm sorry, guys. The natural point of comparison is Triple Triad. Mm-hmm. And I do think uh, this is off the cuff. I do think that both games have like a similar level of like the collection aspect to it, the mechanical, like the, the strategy aspect to it. The one area that I do think that Triple Triad does still edge it out is that it interfaces a little bit more directly in the main game. Where Queen's yeah, Blood I mean, kind of Triple Triad is the main reason you can get the the Squall's best weapon in the first disc mm-hmm. of FF8 because if you if you become a Triple Triad fiend, you can you can make your way to that because you get you get a better payout of like what you need of like gameplay wise. Than like Queen's Blood, it's kind of just you kind of do it for fun for the most part. You're not really missing out too much by not engaging Queen's Blood, except like a, like a pretty like goofy characters and a storyline attached to it. Um, but yeah, I, I, but you're kind of just playing it for fun uh, and with Queen's Blood Bond and Triple Triad. You can break the game wide open <laughs> if you really want to, which is something you can't do with Queen's Blood. For this yeah, game. You know, the, the one aspect of this game, I'm going to make a point of comparison, is that there's also, it's, it's a much smaller little mini game, but the piano playing, you mm-hmm. get, I think, like six or seven or eight songs throughout the course of the game. And as you get, as you score high enough in each of the songs, you can kind of get credit for it and get materia and I think some accessories to trade in. I just kind of wish that maybe Queen's Blood had a similar thing where it's like, oh, you've, there's something like 150 cards. Like, oh, you've collected 50 cards, you get this. Oh, 100, you get this. Oh, 125. Like, yeah, I think even, even something like that would have been like a little bit incentive. Like, oh, you can get the haste material super early if you do queens or something. Maybe. But so that's this is, this, is, this, is me, uh, this is me like nitpicking. I just I just really enjoyed it. But once you kind of beat everyone, there's like there's no card mod or anything like that in terms of like getting extra easy resources or items. But it's still really fun. And I do think it's something that they could flesh on, flesh out on in the sequel uh part three or pie in the sky maybe its own thing or a separate thing or a mobile thing or whatever they want to do with it yeah i uh, i do wonder if they decide to like kind of make a spin off of it in the future if they like once they hear like like the universal positive reception and blood you know i think i think for people who engage in it uh like there's been nothing but like praise for it um obviously you know if you're not into card games obviously not for that's fine um Okay, I, w- I want to shift gears to, uh, a little bit because I-, I need to hear Chow on this. This will be spoilers for like the first 10 to 15 minutes of the game after as soon as you hit you game on this. Chow, when you first got to move in FF7 Rebirth, what was going through your mind? Like the first character that you got to move around with in this game as soon as you hit new game? Um, with Zach? Uh-huh. Are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's what he was teeing you up for. Yes. Yes. What is the first thing that comes to my mind? Is everyone dead? <laughs> <laughs> because it's like okay, the reason is like I, I was like okay, you crashed the helicopter. It's like good going, Red. You know, you crashed the helicopter. It's like <laughs> you can't get everyone get inside killed. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. It, yeah. It was a fucking weird moment because it kind of it tees off of like the the ending of remake and intermission of like. The uh, of like that scene of Zach carrying uh, the an unconscious Cloud all the way to Midgard, and then and then and, and then in another scene, it's like Cloud and Aerith walking the other way, kind of maybe teeing up for like different timelines. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but then, but then, like when Cloud gets gets to Midgard, it's like after like the plate and like the Shinra building 
building has like collapsed and like and then it, but it shows all the party members that you had in remake like all dead being shipped out into Shinra helicopter and you're seeing this with the eyes of Zack like like uh, carry like a, a, com- a comatose cloud pretty much um on his back and you're just like what the fuck is happening and then the game's like hey by the way go play as Zack during this opening segment and you're like yeah go go rescue Aerith who's kind of huh? like you don't know you don't know if she's dead or in a coma and yeah, this is all within the first five minutes <laughs> you're like like what the fuck it was that's a pretty intriguing you know definitely it's definitely one health to start the game, you know, where, like, you're just, like, you know, like, anyone who knows FF7 is, like, kind of losing their minds at this point. Like, you're just like, huh? <laughs> it's, I, I respect the way that they start this game, where you're just, like, kind of thrown out of the loop immediately. You're just like, you think you know, what, you know what's going to be the start, and then you're just like, no. I thought, like, the start of the game would be, like, the Nibelheim flashback. Well, they know, did but... say that wasn't going to be the first segment, but uh, did you did you transfer your demo of save data, or did you I, just uh... replay that part again? So, from what I understand from people who played it, there there is like you do have to still play a little bit of Nibelheim flashback, but yeah, yeah, you... I did that. I did that. Yeah, I, I, I chose get... to skip it because I was yeah. like, hmm, if it I skip, I have more time it. to get further yeah. in the game, right? Yeah. So. But, but but thankfully, like everything, I, I apparently on my PS5 had a save for remake, intermission, and then of course that um, saved uh, the demo save data. So I got I was able to get all the goodies right away. I totally forgot that I had saves for them on PS5. You know, so you know what's so stupid? What about those things? Okay, I, I have all the DLC, all the bonus, but I didn't know how to access it until like I'm in Juno because I'm, nice. I was like, <laughs> it's not in my inventory. It's like, is it my closet? It's like I don't have a closet. I'm like, it's like, where's my RAM with some material? I know I have it. I'm like, uh-huh. I had to Google it. Sorry, guys. Oh, you have to Google. <laughs> you needed a guide for that. Okay, that's guide. That's guide potential right there. How do I get my fucking stupid bonuses? It, it doesn't explain it too well. It doesn't, I didn't it know doesn't, it was yeah, in like a system menu or some shit. That's so. fine. I I think they briefly like put a light in it after you retrieve it for the main menu. But even then, I'm sure you know it's easily missable. Um, I was. Got access to it immediately, um, but yeah, I'm just really looking forward to like playing more of it. Like I'm gonna after this podcast is done, I'm gonna immediately play more of it. I uh, I'm 21 hours in. I'm hoping to finish this before Unicorn Overlord next week. Best um, of luck. You got two that, days. Wait, two days? What? No, <laughs> Unicorn's not out till like the eighth, I think. Right? Yeah, it's six uh, days. You can play a demo. You can play a demo to get some hours. Sorry, I guess. I mean, I mean, look, I, I won't worry about out. the demo. I, I I won't worry about the demo until I'm done with this game. That's where I'm at. I, I'm yeah, I'm fiending over this game right now, though. Yeah, I I love it too. Like I I'm like I'm like earlier I said about that Ubisoft remark. That isn't from me. I am having a blast with this game. I feel like, you know, if Genshin isn't even half as good as that open world as this, and yeah, it's making billions, it's like, I'm already sold on this, you know? I'm just glad that, like, the open worlds, because it's, like, multiple open worlds per region, I'm just glad that, like, they don't, they're not too, too massive, so, like, you can kind of traverse them. I do know that there are some open world regions later on that people have been talking about that are, like, are a pain in the ass to, like, navigate, so I'll, I'll get there when I get there and see how it is. Like I, I do. Like I already don't like how slow the chocobos in the Junon region. The the the, the new chocobo thing is like they can climb up like marked surfaces, and then like that already takes too long. 
for some of it and just kind of annoying. Like um, I like in my opinions, like I don't really mind doing the open world thing. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that just takes me out of the immersion from the lore is like we 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 have to go to the march to do this. But no, I'm gonna do like a million other side quests first. You know, it's like it doesn't feel kind of accurate. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, they, they do. It's kind of the uh, the open world. I mean, it's kind of not even just open world. This is like an overall RPG problem that like they kind of have to like you have to kind of concede to of like there's this like really urgent thing that we have to go do, but then there's like a whole shitload of other things like optional things you can engage with. Right. I think I think even the character kind of makes snark at you. It's like, man, you guys sure have a lot of free time. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they, they have great. They have really good chemistry, and the, I I really I really like a lot of the conversations, the exchanges between the characters. I really like Red a lot. Uh, surprisingly, in this game, I didn't think I I would think much of Red. I, I don't know why, but Red. I, I think it's awesome. the original FF Seven doesn't give you much of an impression. He has like that one awesome scene where he meets. Like you know, like the corpse of his father in the original, yeah, yeah. but yeah. you know, other than that, you don't really remember the character much because he doesn't talk that much, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So maybe this time is like he's more flesh out, so you're you're more connected with him now. You right? do have a different spin on Red because of like the remake nature of it, where Red is Red's characterization is more in tune with the remake nature of this trilogy. So that 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 gives them a different angle on how to characterize hey. Red. If you've played remake, which we're kind of making the assumption that everyone talking about Reaper I mean, has played remake, yeah, it's Red, <laughs> Red and Aerith, yeah, and, you, and I think that's fair. And Red and Aerith are both kind of paired in that same way that they're like they have a natural kind of um, I don't know affinity towards the planet. So that's in the live stream, which kind of is used to explain why they have some feelings or premonitions about things. And then some of that is explained a little bit early on in Rebirth. Uh, compared to what the status was in Remake. And I won't go any more detail than that, but yeah, it does give Red a little bit more um, kind of importance and focus in the story, especially with the events at Cosmo Canyon later. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, Kate Sith, Ketchi, um, still a little bit of a of a minor character, but he does get a lot more chance to shine uh, in in Rebirth. Um, and his, his interaction with... Uh, with Jinra and the gold saucer. And mm-hmm. and this sounds a little bit silly, but maybe it's because I was very young at the time. But like at the time when I was playing Final Fantasy VII, I almost like my brain didn't parse that it was a cat on a Moogle doll. I thought it was like all <laughs> one thing. Um, so like Kit Chi gets plenty of time in this game where you just play as the cat and like the Moogle doll you summon into battle. And it's actually kind of interesting because like you can summon the doll and then you can like split off from it. And basically the doll can take aggro uh, and kind of be kind of act a little bit uh, autonomously. Just like your other party members, it doesn't really do a whole lot on its own, but it's still just like a neat little wrinkle for how Ketchi's character works. Yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to that... see, like seeing that in action and playing it for myself. Like I, I'm very interested. Ketchi does have this the thing uh, that this is a this is a trope in a lot of RPGs, especially Japanese RPGs. The trickster character, the Joker character, where a lot of their abilities rely on RNG, and like if the, his limit break in the original was slots, I believe. So that's not new, but a lot of the things are just like. Here's an attack called Fortune Teller. It will either do low damage, high damage, or no damage. And you're like, well, I'm not going to use that ability. Uh, but uh, he does get bonuses where like he gets extra luck if he's on his Moogle. So there might be ways to like mitigate that. But it just it makes me a little bit less inclined to use them if there's RNG baked into his design. I'm like, oh, eh. For what but it's one worth, thing I have never I've never gone wrong with fortune telling. It's actually uh, Kate uh, Ketchy's built like a caster. 
but he's got like the stats of a fighter. So if you've got high enough luck with that guy, you can just do the fortune telling, and then the boss just dies. That's interesting. Yeah, because because I, I look at the I luck of material. Yeah. I think luck is big on uh, yeah. for 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 Cat and for Yuffie. Luck is pretty. I don't know if it's important, but luck has a much bigger. It seems to have a a bigger bigger effect on those two. Because um, Yuffie has a, a few weapon skills that mm-hmm. um, give her. I mean, a, a few and also a few folio nodes that give her bonuses if she's able to successfully steal. Okay. So, you, so she's got a few. She's got a few things where you'll you want to keep the steel the steel material on her. And for Cat, you you want you can play him. You can play him kind of like a, a a melee fighter, but he's also got the build of a caster. So you can kind of go both ways on that with him. Mm. Mm. And his, I um, still think Yuffie is so incredibly versatile because. Oh yeah, 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 too. definitely. Like she can yeah. access any element affinity without the materia attached. She can attack from range. She's like 100% effective from range. And then she has an ability that you get pretty early on. I think it's like her third weapon, fourth weapon called Blindside, where she throws the shuriken. And like it basically for smaller enemies, it's staggered, not staggered in terms of the mechanic in the game, but it like it knocks them off their feet. And that way, like everyone else can just wail on them. And you can do Blindside even with Yuffie's being knocked in the air. She can do it while airborne or while being knocked back. And if you have enough, like, ATB building material on her, she can just spam the crap out of that. And you can do it with the proper element as well. So she's basically, once I got her, she never left my party. Um, and then, like you said, Josh, uh, Red is also just really interesting to use and fits well with a lot of his. He has a, he kind of has a, a play style that kind of meshes both Cloud and Tifa's, uh, sort of, but with the counter, yeah. like the counter stance, Sentinel yeah, stance yeah. Uh, uh, slant to it. So yeah, uh, I'm, Eager to see, of course. The you know the question is: Is there you've got a few more characters to implement for the next for part three? Exactly how those are gonna? They, um, they need more party slots. That's what I think. I, not party slots in terms of like participating characters, but they need more like like you know how you can switch between different uh, parties and mm-hmm. it's like up to three. I think they need more of those. <laughs> to be yeah. honest, I, I'm, I'm like I also I, wish they had like material loadouts because there's you have to reassign reassign material manually each time. There's no material loadout. Uh, that would yeah, be yeah, interesting yeah. QL, QL change. I do. Uh, there's one topic that we haven't quite discussed yet that I'm eager yeah. to, to see people's thoughts on. We'll start again with uh, Josh too. Josh, this game has a lot of mini games, and we kind of touched on it earlier when, when Josh one said he didn't do the frog thing. Touch I did the frog. I did the frog thing, but not, I didn't do the three star frog thing. Uh, I, I did like up to two stars, that I'm like, I don't have the patience to to do this all the way. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah on mini games. That is uh, that's what I'm. That's kind of what I'm referring to when I say when when I and some others have said it's got the soul of 1997. Like before before open worlds were really a thing, or before open worlds were a thing that everyone was trying to do in in the AAA space. What AAA meant for games in 1997 was you put a lot of money into doing just things you will do, like in making making up a bunch of interactions, a bunch of quasi-cinematic, quote-unquote, cinematic actions that um, you you might only do once, or you spend a bunch of money on, like, um, it, 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 putting it in retrospect, in retrospect, like someone mentioned once, someone kind of did a breakdown of how graphically complicated 
one mini scene was from like Final Fantasy VIII, where you've got this soldier, this Galbaldian soldier, running after you guys in a train, and they broke down all the kinds of graphical tricks that you had to do to just get this one scene of a guy of a of a soldier getting really tired after trying to run after a train with you on it, and um, it's kind of like 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 that, like that's the soul of ninety seven ninety eight, where you're putting a lot of weird dev time into a, uh, into like chocobo racing, into snowboarding, into um, like um, into stuff that, well, to to put it cynically, into stuff that can't be monetized, and or that that is that that doesn't re- that that doesn't look as good on the back of a box uh, as a as a as a as a as a bullet point in your in your sales and that's kind of where it comes in like there's a there's a mini game here where you have to figure out how to properly pick a mushroom and there's a mini game where you um you 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 you, you use a can to put to to get a chicken to follow you around um Stuff like that, and then like that Juno. There's a mini game in Casa del Sol that uh, I was not expecting at all. This game has its own micro version of Rocket League in it. Maybe okay. I shouldn't say more than that. But uh, okay. they, just, they, they just said we're just gonna do this, and then they I did think, this. Yeah, I think there there was a clip of it in like a trailer or something. Well, I, I'm I'm pretty sure there's been clips of everything in this game yeah. <laughs> in a trailer. I'm sure but, they uh, spoiled everything on those trailers. But yeah, you go you go to Costa del Sol, which is, you know, everyone kind of expected you go to the Gold Saucer eventually and there'd be tons of mini games and a lot of them return and there are new ones. There is no in the original game, there's like a um like a basketball shooting little mini game. That that's not in here, but now we have like the 3D brawler. The the bike mini game, I think, is a carryover. Of course, it's implemented slightly slightly differently. Um Queen's Blood has a big role in Costa del Sol uh, in Gold Saucer, but even in Costa del Sol, there's like a um, like one of those, uh, like the challenge stand, yeah, yeah, amusement park, uh, like first person um, target challenges, and there's also like th- this one kind of feels a little bit more natural in getting up into Upper Junon. You do the interaction with the dolphin, uh, of course, yeah. that becomes its own mini game. Uh, and then uh, there's this one area where everyone turns into the toad, like the toad form. Mm-hmm. I remember that was a marketing, that was a big marketing thing uh, for a remake. I think it was the Apsu fight. You could turn into a toad. And it was like, we're, we're going to reveal Apsu, Ifrit, and then also the toad form of Cloud. And, then, and that's what, that was the marketing at the time. And then there's an area here where it's like, everyone becomes a toad. And then you got to do a mini game as a toad. I, I will say like the context of like, how, how this the, this toad thing manifested, but like, I, I, the storyline up to, to reveal like that how that toad mini game comes to be in rebirth is like it's like so absurd that i'm like what the fuck is this game <laughs> it is so weird and funny at like the most unexpected ways sometimes <laughs> I, was, I, I that just caught me off guard like the way that they introduced that mini game like the storyline up to it it's just like what the fuck uh, and then talking about mini games and variety the one thing that helps keep the variety from location to location, one, we did talk about the chocobos. There's they they work a slightly differently in each region. So this game doesn't have like the chocobo breeding, but it does say like in the Junon region, they're mountain chocobos so they can climb up and down walls. Uh, in a later region, they have this silly uh, ability to like 
water jet geyser over bodies of water, which is a bit silly, but then I, there's some gameplay involved in it. I I love how like multiple people made like an edit of uh, that one uh, comic where it's oh, like, hey, can, silly. Uh, can you yeah, s- go ahead. Uh, see how hard I can pee? And it's like just replaced it with the chocobo. <laughs> Uh, but also each area like there's there's different sorts of things that you do in each area obviously there's the towers there's each area has a summon that you have to do a little mini game to like to be able to access um there's the enemy intel which is like usually there are kind of modifications of enemies you would naturally find in the region but they're slightly powered up um but then there's also the proto relic quest which is like a a world spanning side quest that in each area is implemented a little bit differently in the first area, it's like story scenes involving some characters from uh, the Wall Market area from Midgar. And then in the second area, it's a mini game. It's Fort Condor. Like that's how Fort Condor is implemented f- from Intergrade into Rebirth. And then in each area, the proto relic, like what you actually have to do, is slightly different. In some, it's literally a mini game that has like a hard mode attached, and you can get rewards for. And then in some, it's like a different sort of battle arena. So there's a little bit of variety there. And then it, it also has the normal like completionist, you know, serotonin or whatever you want to call it, where you build up towards like a climax. And that's kind of like the major side quest of the game is doing the proto relics in each area and seeing how that all concludes. So very if you're if you're not wanting to be a hundred percent completionist, I do suggest doing the proto relics just because it it ends up leading to like some of the coolest optional content in the game. But yeah. Any games are good. I, I enjoyed all of them. I especially enjoyed like um, I think they're tuned really well in terms of challenge. Like some of them, I just thought as just as soon as I thought this is way too hard, I'll never do it. I ended up finding a strategy to implement to win. In one of the later regions, they're like chocobo gliding courses, which I think might be some of my favorite uh, in the game. That were not too difficult and not too frustrating. My least favorite is probably what they introduced in the. Um, what are you, the proto relics in the Cosmo region with the uh, Gears and Gizmos minigame. That one was a bit strange. I also don't like how they what they did with Fort Condor. I like Fort Condor better in remake. It, it was better in uh, in Intergrade, yeah. And in this one, I think it's pared down just because it's only in one area of the game, so you can't really like control your loadout. You only have to pick, you can only pick from a select loadout. But yeah, it it does feel like a downgrade compared to its implementation in uh in Intergrade. I think the timers on some of the mini games, the gears and like the like the gears and gadgets, um, that's what it's called. It's got it, that's where gears and gambits. Come back. Yes, gears and gambits, right? Um, um, and and in Fort Condor, a bit too harsh, if you ask me, on normal. But it, so I can't I can't even imagine. Uh, right now, trying to bang my head against the hard modes uh, on that, but um, yeah, but like, like I think it would be the, those would be those would be more tolerable if the if the timers were a bit more forgiving. So, kind of hoping that maybe I don't know if they if they're inclined to do a bit of a balance pass on some of that stuff. I, I saw someone say I haven't verified this myself, but like if you play literally on the easy mode difficulty, the mini games do get easier. I, I haven't confirmed oh, that myself, but someone that. said someone said in Fort Condor they this is unverified, but your 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 rate at which you can spawn units is increased in easy mode. So maybe potentially that that'd be that'd be a, a a smart way to implement that. Easy mode is not just combat easiness, but also uh, ability to to clear those. Like if you only just want to see how the 
how the proto relic quest turns out and you don't really want to involve yourself in the mini game other than what you have to that'd be a nice compromise there i think but Speaking in general of, like it, go, go ahead it. josh yeah yeah, no, no, I was, I uh, yeah go for it i was going to say uh, making a comparison to infinite wealth again where an infinite wealth is this thing where it's like you could do the story but also here's three or four or five things you can use to to distract yourself for a time and final fantasy 7 does the same thing and i never really felt mad at it for it like i was always in, uh very eager to like um allow myself just to play rocket league or do you know catch up on queen's blood or all yeah, these things to me it doesn't feel like a chore yeah. no it doesn't yeah um i was gonna say like speaking of like like settings in this game like i know it's kind of in the nitty-gritty but I was, to me i was just kind of surprised like how many settings they let you tweak in this game in terms of like camera adjustment during battle um i especially like the one where like you can have the you can switch the the targeting of the of how you lock onto enemies but like instead of the right stick you can put it to the d-pad instead and have it do an auto camera so like if you're in the air there's like an adjustment for like when you're locked into an aerial uh enemy you know keep that enemy centered on the on the battle in your camera no matter what so like even if you evade it will not go off screen when you evade and you have to adjust for the camera it'll keep it like the camera like focused on that enemy there's like little things like um where you when you're uh doing basic attacks in battle there's like there's like a fixed and free mode where like if it's fixed it'll keep like your combos squarely on that enemy and like it feels stiff or like in free mode like if you tilt like the, the left stick to like the direction of another enemy you'll continue that combo and like into that enemy and not be so strict onto like the the original enemy that you were originally targeting it's just like little settings like that in the game that like like you can tweak it to like the way that you want to uh it like go, it's like a big thing for me where like something will feel off in combat and i'm like i wonder if there's a setting for that and more often than not, there is, and like combat feels really good now after tweaking around settings. And also just like terrain actions in the game. You can actually like set a marker that like it'll by your by your feet, it'll like show like a little white cert like white shade in the direction of like, hey, you're at, you're at a on like you're going up against a thing where you can do a terrain action, which just basically means you can go up this or go down or descend this. And like just little markers that like that saying like oh there's like a thing you can like actually like go jump off of um, instead of like just mashing circle like aimlessly be like okay like can I can I go to rate action here can I do th this here it's like oh there's actually like a, a setting in the game that like will show you an indicator so you don't look like a fucking idiot trying to like jump up and down anywhere you can to, trying to reach a certain thing so it's just for me I really like the expanding settings modes. <laughs> as weird as that sounds in this game it's like it just there's just got a lot of really smart improvements that like there's a lot of smart and like um for foreseeing of like how players want to engage with the game like this is the way i want to it's like okay some some people might be like say i i think this is a thing in the first game i forgot if it was but like if you're like going from like grand blue relink into this game and you're used to like uh l1 on um guard and r1 to like hold down to like use a skill you can actually sw uh, swap l1 and r1's functions in this game and i forgot if that was in the first game or not. but like if you're just going from grand blue relink into this game and you're still used to grand blue relink's control scheme you might want to do that <laughs> what was the skills called when you hold r1 and you start using the skill it's like a 
a different type of skill. I forgot what they're called. They're, they're just like your, your weapon skills in uh, FF7. Like, um, in Grand Blue, I forgot what the skills were called, but like the arts or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just like in, in FF7 Rebirth, I could have sworn L1 is your weapon skill and R1 is like, kind of like these synergy skills or something. Yeah, R1, R1 normally is mapped to like blocking, and then when you're blocking, you have access to synergy skills. And L1 would be uh, you use that, that as like your weapon shortcut. Or weapon skills yeah, yeah, L1 you can shortcut to a lot of things, but yeah, your, yeah. your other abilities. Yeah, and then you can actually swap the, uh, them so like they, they have the, the reverse of the other triggers function, because that's how it works in Relink, um, where you guard with L1, and R1 is what you hold down in Relink to get gain access to your uh, skills in there. I think we've touched on, I guess the only thing we ha really haven't touched on is something we've been deliberately kind of avoiding. We've talked about like character interactions, we've talked about the quests. We haven't really talked about the overall story, but I don't know if there's a lot we can say in a spoiler-free context. Other mm -hmm. than, for the most part, it does, if you've played the original game and you're, and you're, and you're not interested in the Whisper storyline, like the Whisper storyline is followed up on in this game, like make no, make no doubt about it. But it does allow a lot of the original moments to breathe. Um, you will see the same events in, you know, Barrett revisiting his town of, of Coral uh, in the Gold Saucer, Cosmo Canyon with uh, Red and Bugenhagen. Like those events are, you know, reimagined in a way that I think is really quite it's I, I'll say quite faithful, but it is different. Like I, like I know some people have already kind of compared like what's said in the original game. And obviously the original game, you have the additional caveat of the original translation not being always up to par. Uh, so people comparing the order of the events as shown in the original game versus in remake, ignoring like, irregardless, I should say, regardless of the whisper storyline. So the thing, the events in those two in those locations do play out slightly differently. I haven't quite compartmentalized whether it's better or worse or just the same but different, uh, just different but equally good. But for the most part, this game's main story does kind of take a back seat uh, until like the last handful of hours which is kind of faithful to the original game. In the original game, after the events at Midgar, it's basically like world tour, find and follow Sephiroth. And that's kind of the same here, where you'll kind of go from region to region with only the, the slightest amount of motivation to go to a certain area. Like, like for instance, in I'm, I'm going to say this very generically, when you're in Cosmo Canyon, you run into a character that mentions the word Nibelheim, and then the party's like, we should go to Nibelheim. And, th and then you go there. Like, that's kind of like the sort of motivation that you get, like, in terms of the, the main narrative thrust it takes a back seat, which I think works okay for this style of game. But it is a little bit different compared to Remake, where the main story was kind of at the forefront pretty much completely all the time. Yeah, I mean, like the 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 current story beat that I've had with those spoilers, like the the main reason is like we're following the guy in black, the guys in black robes. It's like okay, mm -hmm. good, <laughs> great. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll be honest, when you say that, that could that could describe about half the game. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh well, what part? What part are you following the guys in in black robes? Like <laughs> the first, the second, or the third time? <laughs> and I don't say that with really a ton of judgment because I don't think the game really needs a much stronger narrative pull than that because the moment to moment character interactions are so strong and yeah. it's kind of i also have i also have the mindset that like oh this that's just how that's just how it always was since you know 1997 so i kind of have that additional kind of substantiation in my head like of course that's what it's like because that's what it's always been like yeah i think i think they've done a really 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 good job so far of like getting like how do you modernize and present like the second part of this trilogy because this is 
but if you're going by the original standards, this kind of if you're going by the original, this is the part of the game where it's kind of the most main story narratively weak. Not to say that the character interactions and characters and like exploring the world and seeing and the what you're doing on a day like moment to moment basis is bad. It's just like if you're just kind of compartmentalizing of like where the main story was best at. Like this is the part of the original where it was like the at its weakest, where you're you're kind of you're kind of going, you're kind of going through the motions. Does anyone else have any other final thoughts? I guess I'll hand it off to to Josh too first. You know, concluding thoughts on your time with Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I uh, I had a lot of fun, <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. I'm really. I mean, uh, I obviously w- don't want to talk about it now. Um, we have a bit of insight as to where most folks who've started the game are, and I really, and I'm actually kind of trying to be a bit more judicious about judicious about the. The screenshots I I share and stuff, you know, just not to spoil anyone by accident. But um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and in in like the narrative flow isn't always there, as I mentioned in the reviews. Like if you are not already kind of in from how remake did things, and um, if you're not sort of invested, you there is sort of a a risk that you might be be lost by not having much pull, except follow the guys in the black robes, but by the time but like 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 the the like the the moment to moment stuff is so it's it's so good that you kind of forget that you're not really doing too much in a narrative sense in a, in a, in a story in a main story sort of sense but when that when when all that stuff comes down i mean when you get when to, when you get into the final few hours um it 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 gets it gets it gets uh much more uh Serious isn't the right word, but it—I mean that—that that stuff comes back to the fore, and it—and um, I'm re- kind of excited to see if they can land this beast in the next one, and um, and and to see if that's all really going to be worth it. Or I mean, worth it's the wrong word, but like if if they're going to make it pay off, really, um, like as as a as a whole on the remake project. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that it was like super additive, but nevertheless, I really, I've, I've so far enjoyed my time with all of this, seeing, seeing it. So even if they don't quite make it pay off, if if people who really super care about that story um, can't say it's worth it at the end, I'm not, I'm not sure. But like, uh, I mean, like if if the if it's been it's been a good run so far, and so I, I I'm 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 pretty excited to see what they're what they can do next, and hopefully it won't take too much longer. To, I think to, I think either way we all benefit, work, right? Like whether it was worth make the, three out, I guess. Whether like it was worth it or not, I think is not really the right question. I think the question is like, did they yeah. make enjoyable experiences on the way there? And I think I think they have, you know, like. Yeah, I'm yeah, really, yeah, I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful that like whether this la- whether this has the perfect landing or not in its final installment, that matters to me less so than just like giving me a good game uh, on the way there. Like I'm just thankful that like they were able to do this project and like it came out as well as it did. Um, yeah, that's true. It's like you, I, I can't imagine anyone else getting this kind of chance. Honestly, if you if it wasn't Final Fantasy VII, yeah. 
And there are plenty of story beats for those that haven't played the original game that are teed up in Rebirth that aren't followed up until um, later. You know, it would be in eventually in part three. And especially with how Rebirth has changed things with regards to certain characters i basically i have no idea what they're going to do there's a lot of area to speculate exactly what they're going to do with those sorts of things um but that's pretty much all i can say right now until we go into like a a a spoiler allowed context there so and i do know like um actually i don't know i was gonna i was last time we had the uh the last time we were able to talk about remake we had george on the cast who was basically our perspective of the newcomer which we don't quite really have that right now uh so i am eager to kind of continue to read what people who haven't played the original game uh do think about the the story you know i don't want to say cliffhangers but the the lingering threads that haven't been fully addressed uh by the time rebirth ends um and see what they think about it because we all kind of know a little bit about you know we have we have that juxtaposition about what we know what's what happened in the past and compare that standing up to what could happen now where other people only have the now they, they what happened in the past doesn't really matter to to their enjoyment so i'm curious to see like what that uh what people with that um perspective think about rebirth's ending versus the potential of a part three but yeah make sure that you go on to rpgsite.net to read josh's uh full spoiler free re- spoiler free review on final fantasy 7 rebirth uh Josh has also been, Josh and Alex have been taking a lot of time to write up a ton of how-tos, guides, listicles, things like that up on the website as well. So if you're playing Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and you're not sure how to change party members or whatever the thing that Chow was trying to figure out uh, for um, synergy skills or how to get Tifa airborne, we have, might have guides up and they're going to be continuing to go up throughout the week uh, up on RPGsite.net. Throughout the week and beyond, um, if you are trying to get the 300% stagger thing, um, trophy. We've got that too. There's no fat chocobo in this one, so you had to do something different. Oh. Yeah, you're going to have to beat up Titan again. It, it, Tifa, once again, Tifa is the crux. There you go. <laughs> but it's Titan this time. He, he is your fat chocobo. Uh, I did it on Jabberwock. Oh, yeah, him too. Actually, Jabberwock would do it too. They, you just, they just have to be sufficiently big. Yeah, they, they need to be big and they need to be they need to not die before Tifa beats them up <laughs> there enough. <you> go. <laughs> there you go. So Josh, we're gonna go on with the uh the rest of our um scheduled discussion points for this podcast. Uh you are welcome to stay, but I also know that you are up at a very strange different hour. So you're also welcome to go to go to sleep if you need to. So how are you feeling about continuing or or stepping out? Either way is good. Um, actually, I think I will, in fact, have to take this opportunity to drop out. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a little bit about after 4 a.m. where I am, so... I, I, I figured I, I it was a terrible time coming for me, up so. today. But um, thank you for having me, and it was, a, it was good to talk about the game on, on, on the cast today. Yeah, thank you so much oh. for joining us. It was, great. it was a great conversation. Yeah, thanks. No problem. Sleep, sleep well, Josh, and uh, we'll catch up later. Thank you, and have a good morning. All right, with that, we'll continue on with the other uh, news outputs of this podcast. We have a handful of actual game announcements this week. A few of them were expected, uh, and then a few of them uh, were things that were a little bit of a surprise. But before we get to that, um, Josh was able to also go hands-on with a previously announced game from the developers behind the Ori series. And this is a hands-on preview for No Rest for the Wicked. Yeah. I was able to 
get uh, some early access on it and uh, check out the opening hours of uh, No Rest for the Wicked. This is from the, as you said, from Moon Studios, the developers behind the Ori series, which are, you know, kind of beloved uh, platformers, both uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and I forgot exactly the first Ori and the Blind Ori, Forest. The Forest. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so both of the games I played through really liked. Uh, so they had, uh, as of the time of this recording, they held a live stream for No Rest of the Wicked um, uh, to, you know, to give more info about the title and announce that they are going to Steam Early Access in April. I believe in like an April 18th, I believe. And this is a really fascinating uh, new project because it's not an Ori 3. It's total genre change shift. It is an isometric action RPG that is a mixture of something you'll find like in Path of Exile or Last Epoch and uh, Diablo, uh, with more of the cadence of like a Souls game, more of a Dark Souls type of flow. And I, I said this in my preview, but in modern action RPGs, a lot of the action RPG space these days is all about trying to go through it as fast as possible. It's very fast-paced oriented. You're making your build and you're you're tuning that build uh, so you're uh, in a way that like you're shitting out skills constantly and try to beat up dozens and dozens of enemies as fast as humanly and efficiently as possible. And everything is around that build is tuned for that. And, you know, that's totally fine. Uh, and a great way to, you know, to kind of tune the your action RPG. Um, but in no rest of the wicked, it kind of dials that back where you're not, you're facing off only a few enemies at a, a certain given time. Obviously there's the opening hours. I don't know how it'll change over the course of the game, but like, even having like two to three enemies at once on the screen is pretty deadly because they can they can pretty much kill you in a few hits. Um, so in this game, it's very pre- precision based. It's a lot about uh, hit boxes. It's less about about it's less about skill rotation and more about hey, you have this uh, attack button. You can uh, tap it to do like uh, weapon combos uh, or just. Um, just a basic attack string. You can hold it down for a charge attack, and once you go into combat encounter, there'll be a stamina gauge that'll dictate those actions. Much as like you know what people uh, would compare to a Souls game, um, where all of these expand an amount of stamina. You can't spam. You can't spam uh, attacks endlessly. You have to make sure that you have enough stamina to do it. Um, as you're taking damage, as you're dishing damage, you have this additional like special meter gauge to fire off a rune attack. And up to four can be uh, slotted onto a character at any single time. Uh, from the weapon types that I engage with in the demo, like two-handed swords, uh, dual blades, and like a single-handed sword, um, all of them have unique uh, rune attacks. So it might be one of those uh, a weapon type might dictate their um, rune attack, but they also said in the live stream there's some way to slot different rune attacks into other weapons. But I didn't really get to mess around with that in the in this demo that I played, and it's just it's a really interesting um, approach to it where it has to you're you're you have to be more careful than you would uh, in uh, in the rest of the wicked compared to other action RPGs where um, and I, like in other action RPGs you can just kind of go buck wild um, with how you um, engage with enemy encounters. Well, on this one, you have to kind of look for enemy tells, not let them at, uh, um, do their attacks that will leave them open. Um, and it carries a lot of that same DNA that you would 
mind game, you know, a, a Souls uh, Souls game. Uh, a lot of the things in in this game is also very explorable and destructible as well. So there'll be like I posted a screenshot where there was like a shiny thing at like one end of a tower pillar and I had to go up some planks. And and like it's pretty precision, uh, pretty precise with its platforming. Where like if you fall off like a plank, you have to go make your way up. There's no like, oh, you grabbed onto the ledge and you have to make your have to um, make your way back to the plank. You know, um, pulling yourself back up. It's like no, you have to make that trek around again, uh, go back to that plank, and then kind of make sure that you're being precise with the way that you're platforming to that shiny thing. Um, and it it, it is. Up, it's gonna support up to like three to four players, I believe, uh, when when the full release comes out. So it, it is something that you can play with your friends as well. And um, even though it has like that kind of the the flow of a Souls combat, it it there are other systems in it that are kind of taken from other action RPGs. Like for example, there's no there's no bonfire or corpse run gameplay loop that you would use in a Souls game. It's very standard. Hey, your character is leveled up. It gives you three stat points. You can allocate these stat points however the fuck you want um, throughout these certain uh, stat categories. And the nice like UI thing is like if you're carrying a weapon on your character that corresponds to one of the stat points like strength, dexterity, or intelligence, like you'll see those equipped weapons uh, power up depending on like if you decide to put a, a stat point in a corresponding stat that's uh, that scales with them. Like say I'm carrying these daggers. Um, I don't know if it's like dexterity or strength that they um, um, scale off of. It'll tell you like in the weapon description, but even then, as like a secondary safe measure, it's like, hey, if you slot a point into dexterity, you'll see on the, the UI like the, this corresponds to the daggers that you're um, equip you have equipped as well. Um, and so yeah, I mean, it was it's a uh, it was a good time. You can check out like my more thorough uh, detailed preview about like what I found. In the demo up on the site uh and yeah I, I don't know exactly when the full release is going to be all i know it's coming to uh, steam early access on april 18th and then like the full release for pc will also be the launch of like when it comes out of playstation 5 and xbox series x and s and you know hopefully they strike gold with it uh the same way they did with uh the ori games because i i hold those games in high regard and i hope no rest for the wicked uh meets a similar uh, bar of quality that those games achieved. Man, can you kind of tee man, up for me? Like, when, when, when you talk about isometric but souls like combat, I have a hard time putting that in my mind's eye. Mm -hmm. So, let's say, for example, you know, like how Diablo does it when you're kind of engaging an enemy in Diablo, you're not really thinking about like the enemy's animations to like go actively dodge it. Um, you're kind of just like firing off whatever, like you have on your skill hotbar rotation. Like, say, for example, you're playing a sorcerer in Diablo, and you have, like, this skill rotation that's, like, cast this fireball, do these icicle shards, they'll cost a certain amount of mana, and theoretically, that like, this skill rotation will kill off, like, five enemies at once because of their AoE effect, right, in Diablo. And No Rest for the Wicked, let's say you come up, like, uh, like against this orc uh this individual orc has like some you have to actively block and evade its attacks and then use those openings after it attacks to like get in your hits um 
and, and and all those attacks that you do have a stamina cost to them. So like your basic attacks, your heavier attacks, um, and like your rune attacks all have a stamina cost associated with them. So you can't endlessly stamina them. You're not you're aside from rune attacks, you're not expending like um mana or a secondary resource to like fire them off. Unlike uh, it's only the rune attacks that do. But like your basic attacks that are like active, you're actively dishing out. Um, you're that's kind of like your primary form of DPS, at least in these opening hours. Unlike say like in Diablo, you're already pretty reliant on like your specific classes resource that you're um using to uh, fire off skills. You're never you're not doing like a, the basic attack of like a sorcerer to like whack them with the staff. You're firing off spells that consume mana to beat up enemies. While in this game, you're using stamina to use basic attacks that are beefy to dispose of the opposition. If that makes sense. That makes sense. So basically, it just seems like it's in more Diablo, there's like yeah, there's swarms of enemies, and you might have some, you know, avoid bad on the ground. But that's kind of it. Otherwise, it's just resource management. I won't say just because it, it it does get pretty involved. But it seems like this one is more focused on animations and managing your 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 stamina meter using your basic attacks versus spamming your abilities whenever they come up cooldown in yeah, Diablo. Game. Yeah, yeah. So that it's a different flow. Sorry, James, we cut you off earlier. What were you going to say? I was just going to say that, like, an early access for this is dropping in April. So it's like, oh, my God, beginning of 2024 is still just barely any, like, not even any time to just, like, take a breather with all the RPGs dropping. It's kind of insane. Yeah, I I think I'll just wait for a full release on this one because there could be more features added into it uh, over time. But I hope, you know, people who are uh, hopping into it, like, have a blast because I know... There's some sort of like town hub building mechanic that wasn't uh, you couldn't access that at the demo, but they said something akin to that in the in the live stream event that they had. Where like you know they're they're putting a lot into this game. I'm looking forward to seeing like what, what the final product is. I I hope I I hope in the similar vein that like the Ori games are. I hope it's just like it's not a live service game like how most action RPGs are uh, these days. I hope it's kind of like just its own full campaign, full end game, but not like not like limited time events or battle passes. I think it's just I hope it's just like uh just a full game <laughs> from the get go. But we'll see. Yeah, and so that'll release in early access on April eighteenth. Uh, and again the early access of course is PC only, but it will release in full for consoles as well. And then you had one other game that you wanted to talk about, Josh, because uh, you said you wanted to talk about it today just to kind of potentially put no put a final statement on it for a game that just came out at the end of the month and that is yeah. x asterisk which is the mm-hmm. um the premium mobile game from the same developers as uh arc knights yeah um i was really optimistic about this game because i think it's a pretty novel game it is a game that is arc knight is a free-to-play mobile gotcha game but to see these same developers decide to release a mobile game that is isn't gotcha and it isn't free to play, it is a buy to play. It is cost ten bucks on uh, the iOS and, and the Google Play Store. And I was like, that's really novel. Like you don't really see that anymore of like mobile games. So I was like, I was hoping like you know this is going to be a really cool game. And some parts of it are cool, but I think the production value of this game is pretty poor. Uh, what it, the things that I like about it? This is a game that is a turn-based RPG. You have 
uh, up to three characters in battle, and the battle system is pretty neat. It is focused around di- uh, di- diminishing and repl- uh, replenishing uh, action points um, based on the enemy state. So, for example, there'll be uh, skills that you can slot into like a, a, a character's like combo um, actions. Like, say, I, I slot in three skills. If I tap on this character three times in battle, theoretically, I'll spend, I'll spend three action points for them to do that basic combo. And that's like the very, very basic gist of it. But there, you can mix it up. And instead of like expending all those three AP points linearly, you can make it so, let's say that your starting skill on this character is a launcher. And then uh, you can have a, another character follow up on it with, and, and, their st- and their first skill might be it'll do an attack on an aerial uh, state enemy, so a launched enemy. And if you, uh, this attack is, will replenish AP because it is the proper skill that you use that has the, the property of dealing uh, damage to launched enemies. Therefore, you get one AP back. Okay, so now yeah, that enemy has now fallen to the ground, and now they're in a down state. You can replenish another AP if you use another skill on a character um, that hits downed enemies. So now you have a full 3 AP once more, so you could spend that on another character skill um, that you know that might do AOE damage or might reel in other enemies, and then you know you can expend other skills to you know hit all of those enemies at once, and then maybe you have another skill to down them, and then use another skill to like replenish AP again. It's like it's kind of like that balancing um, action economy. You can't you can't you can't use the same skill more than once in a turn, but you're finding a way to like tap all your buttons without completely expending all your AP before you're able to do uh, do all your actions at once or all of your available actions rather. So that's the cool part about the combo system. There's a lot of combo theory. There's a lot of like, hey, what am I going to do uh, to uh, get the most out of my turns to deal as much damage as possible without um, no wasted actions. So that's the cool thing about it. Another cool aspect of combat is like this active defense system where like when a when a enemy is about to attack you, your characters are always defending, but there's a tell kind of like in Mario a Super Mario RPG, there's a tell in um their attacks where like it'll flash uh it'll flash for a split second and then you tap the enemy uh your character to kind of do a parry and then that parry will uh, have different effects on a character by character basis. So, for example, one of the characters, uh, if you do a successful parry on her, you'll um, expend the balance uh, gauge of a uh, of a, of an enemy. And if you successfully uh, deplete all of the balance off of an enemy, um, you uh, go into uh, this state, this hyper time, um, where you can. Um, uh, basically attack freely as much as possible uh during that state it's very brief but it, it allows you to kind of out an offense during an enemy's turn uh and so forth and this and, and this parry can be color coded so like it might flash red it might flash blue and there's a there's appropriate characters between the two main characters um 
where you have to kind of switch to them on the fly and then parry with them. So it's a it's a nice thing to kind of keep up the flow of combat and making you know making you active in combat uh, despite being a, a turn based um, battle system. The thing I li- I dislike about this game is kind of like everything else. Um, there's just a, like a lot of like polish and issues around this game that like it just kind of feels like a chore to play. For example, a uh, very mi- like a, starting with a minor thing. When like you can like break, there's like breakable interactables that you might get like stuff out of. When you press like the the button to like kind of hit interactables or even start an enemy, there's like no sound effect at all between that like of a character swiping like you know punching or kicking, um, like nearby vases. You'll tap the button, they'll do the animation, but it's complete silence. I forgot and, to hire the sound team. And uh, it, it just it, it it just feels floaty and it just feels wrong. It's like okay, then they're like just like other things are like the the getting around environments doesn't feel great. Like the like the character movement is like very slow. Just does that doesn't have like a lot of like weight or punch to it. It just it just kind of feels um, cheap to to put it like you know <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, the way that like this game like does tutorials is awful because you'll be reading a, a tutorial and like and, but it'll like just go on to the next thing like immediately like you're trying to like read like maybe like a two sentence thing it'll give you like maybe I don't know half a second to give you read it before it goes on to the next thing and you don't know what the fuck it said and there's no way to like go back to that tutorial to say what it said so you're just kind of like kind of figuring it out along the way um, because it, th- this game will not give you the time to read the, like through a lot of its tutorials. You're like okay, and then narrative-wise, you don't know what the fuck is going on. Um, you're here's what I picked up on. I only completed like the first quote-unquote part of this game. Apparently, it picks up in the second part. I'm like okay, whatever. But you're the one of the main characters is Jan. She's an investigator. I don't really know what she's investigating right now. Like it's some sort of like ancient all-landish civilization. Um, she's on this train. It goes off the rails. Something bad happens. She meets up with a secondary main character named V. And there's something weird about like the 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 names of this game, where like some names like V have a superscript of a number. So it's like V and then like three superscript on it. But they only say V. They never address the superscript three. I don't know why. Uh, there's another character named Zero in all caps, and she has the superscript of two. That when they say her name in Japanese, you know, it's just, they never addressed the number or anything by it. Um, so it's like, okay. Um, and, and just the character interactions are just so dull. <laughs> There's a, the, 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 one, the one character, uh, the playable character that I like, is like this kind of like this furball creature, and, and it's like, its name is Manganese, like the element. And it's like, okay, cool. And like the way they abbreviate it is like the other elemental chart, uh, elemental table name is like MN. It's like, oh, knees, you know? Um, but other than that, there's like so many aspects of this game just like, I'm just like lacking polish. And like, that's like a really big bummer. It's like, I was hoping this game is good because hopefully it could be used as, a, as an example of like, hey, there could be successful premium priced mobile games that are good. But this game is like not good. The color palette of the world, 
is like very flat and dull and grayish and even if you bump up the brightness it still feels flat and just not really appealing to look at the the visual fidelity is not great um even if you bump up all the settings to the max it still doesn't look good um there one 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 aspect of the upgrade system that i do like is like there are these um each character has like a slot like a almost like a a board where you can like tetris uh, uh put in pieces like tetris so you kind of are trying to fit as many pieces as you can for them to get stat enhancements based on like the pieces that you give them on, on whether you're able to puzzle out you know uh like there's like the optimal amount of pieces to fill up this board to give them the maximum amount of like stats on this character that's one aspect that's cool but there's just a lot of things not going for this game even like the the way i played this game was on my phone so a lot of it was touch like moving around to for touch it was like you 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 tolerate it or you hate it which is i'm on the tolerate you don't it's not a love or hate it's you tolerate it or you hate it i don't love i i i I don't know if people out there love it i personally i never got used to like I never got comfortable moving around with a touchscreen in a 3D game. Like I'm able to tolerate it. That's fine. But when you start introducing things like, hey, do you want to use an item in battle? It's like, of course I want to use it. Like, I need to heal someone in battle with an item. You have to like put up the items menu and then you have to like hold and drag that item to the character and it doesn't feel great. Um so I don't like that you have to like use that instead of just like tapping on an item to like use on a character just like have me tap it and then like have me press on a character and then i'll do it instead of like hold and drag that doesn't feel good um i also had this game mirrored on my computer screen using uh an app like i was able to mirror the audio and the and the visuals so i was like seeing the game because if you're if i've tried to play this game on my mobile screen it is very hard to read the text on a lot of like the the menus because there's a lot of fucking text on the screen at once and you're like what the fuck does that say on my phone so i i look at my computer <laughs> monitor I'm like okay that's what it says it's very wordy um there's just a lot of like lore things and it's like it's just very very sci-fi wordy they're like it just it's all to me it's a lot of mumbo jumbo it just doesn't read well and i'm just like there's this there's just a lot of this game that like I do not like. I do not enjoy. Um, I could only tolerate maybe four to five hours of it, and like I completed the first like major section of the game before it like does a time skip, and then I'm like, I don't know if I can play anymore, man. This is not a good game. It just it, to, to me, it's a bummer, right? I want, I want, I wanted this game to be good so I can point to it and be like, hey, you know, there's and potential. No yeah buy it you own it sort of thing yeah yeah um the, well here's the weird thing about this right where you you technically have to log into an account to play it because it has cloud because there's a save there's actually save and load they say you can manually save it and load it but you can upload your save to the cloud um but if you if you turn off the internet on your phone like airplane mode it does have like an offline mode so it's like that's also weird as well <laughs> So like, but there's no way to like manually put it to offline mode. You have to like set your phone to like airplane mode or some shit to like go into the offline mode of this game. Other than that, you have to play it by signing into like a hyperglyph account or something. Um, that's... I don't know, man. I, I it's got. I think 
as far as I know, the feedback to this game has not been good to like the the primary Chinese player base. I think the the developers have issued like an apology statement on the state of this game already. Yeah. That does um, not sound good. So, I mean, even they're aware does, that like does it have uh, online components or no? No, as far as I it's know, like a single no. player game. All right. Yeah, so just a, a normal single player game, but it's just, it's just um, there are some good parts about it. There are few good parts about it. Most of it is not good. And I think I think it's pretty reflective that like they are you have to issue an apology saying, Oh, we're sorry that it fucking sucks. It's like Yeah, yeah. like like <laughs> apologies I can understand for like multiplayer games and like your server infrastructure we've seen or or but like apologies for like a single player game, just something about it. It's like, oh, that must be really bad. <laughs> so yeah, um I don't know. Hopefully they get their shit together and they can kind of improve parts about the game. I feel like it's kind of it's way too late. You've already released it. People paid money for it. Probably a good amount of refunds. But it's just like you could have just I don't know, just let you, you could have just let them work on it a little bit longer. But I even know if like more time equals better game. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this was just like cursed from the start. I don't know. Um, but Isn't that game supposed to be like a prototype that they made a long time ago? They just bring it to retail or something? I don't know. I kind of want my ten dollars back. I paid money for this game, and I was like, "Well, I, I did it for science." And sometimes, you know, when you do things for science, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it's a failed experiment. Well, at least you tried. I I tried. I gave it my uh, best shot. I I had fun with its battle system, but every but a good battle system can only bring your game so far. If everything else is not great, then or at least good, then you know. <laughs> What can you do? What can you do? It just it just didn't feel great to play uh, outside of that. And then before we go on to, into the news, Josh, you did write up one very specific feature uh-huh. about a very specific character's uh, proliferation for collaboration events. Yeah, so, you know, it's 2024 is the seventh anniversary of Nier Automata. It's already been seven fucking years. Uh, and, and I'm using that costume in Grand Blue right now. Yeah. Um, and so, and you know, we got the recent news of it selling over 8 million units. Still because be a fucking success story of the ages. And I was like, you know what? Did, did anyone ever actually, you know, when we think about 2B these days, we think about like, man, there's been so many fucking 2B collaborations and other games over the years. I was like, was there ever, did anyone ever release a thorough, like, collab list of like, collaborations that Nier Automata has been in other games because this a lot of games has co- have collaborated with this game over the years since it's released but did anyone ever make a thorough one that like that chronicled it and like put it like in a chronological order and I was like I sure can't find one and what what better way to celebrate the 7th anniversary of Nier Automata than to fucking just do it myself and so I went deep into the trenches and did a lot of research of every single collaboration that Tubi has been ever since 2017. And funny enough, even even in the year 2017, there has been at least one... Actually, there's actually been at least two collaborations with Nier Automata every single year it's released. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's just like, man. Outside of this year, this year's only been one so far with the Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising fighting game. 
uh, which added to be a playable uh, char- character. And that's her second fighting game collaboration with Soul, Soul Calibur oh, 6. What was her first? first? Oh, so there uh, you go. Yeah, Soul Calibur 6 being the first. Um, and yeah, I was just like, you know what? I might as well just do this for science. And so I did it. Ever since the release of that game, up until now, the exact dates and years of when uh, 2B was first included into a game. And that feature is up on the site. Um, I just decided to do a fun feature, you know. We don't get... I'm not able to, like, um, do as many fun features as, like, I would like because I'm just, like, it's hard. It's it's a lot of research. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. And this one, a, a lot of research, uh, for sure, especially to, like, the dark corners of the internet. Um, where like you kind of need to know some Japanese to uh, navigate like when and where Tubi has been, and that was the, it was fun though. Like usually the the main when I embark on features like this, it's kind of like a two way deal of like is it going to be fun for me and is it going to be fun for readers? And if both align, I'll do it. That's what I did with this one. So go go up on the site. Uh, it's on the it's on a banner. Um, give it a read or a skim. It's a lot of collaborations. Uh, with some games that you either didn't know existed or you didn't know that happened. Like, hey, remember Gravity Rush 2? Cat uh, got a 2B costume for that um, um, shortly after the release of Automata. That was a cool collaboration. Now you're obligated to update it. Whenever there's I, might, I, 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 I might actually like if people have asked, are you gonna update it? I'm like, well, maybe actually. It is kind of, you know, the, the, the definitive list. Maybe. I mean, look, I had to write the words and Babylon's it, Fall in the year 2024 for this feature. Think about that. And it's, all, and it's only gonna slow down, right? So the oh, worst is already over. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. No one would ever think about collaborating with uh, Automata ever again after Rising. Surely. But no, it's a really cool list. 2B's eight-year-long journey to become the goddess of collaboration events up on RPGCSide.net. And it's a lot. And you've got screen caps, you've got details, dates. It's it's a it's a fun list to read through. Even if you haven't been involved as someone who's not played any of these collaboration events except for reincarnation, which you kind of stated as a freebie. Um it's just, yeah, just it's, a, it's, the, it's the meme picture of Obama meddling himself <laughs> in that <laughs> collaboration. <laughs> All right, with that, we'll go into the news topics. We're going to start out here with a handful of game announcements. The first of which is the primary announcement that came out of the Pokemon Presents at the end of last week. And we all kind of were hoping and expecting for the announcement of a new entry in the Pokemon Legends series, as well as potentially a Gen 5 remake, because it seems like it's about that time. Well, we got one of those things. We got a cinematic announcement trailer for Pokemon Legends ZA. So this is a Gen 6 Pokemon, you know, Pokemon X and Y. So you, I've seen some people say we finally have Pokemon Z. In Rygard a finally has game. game. Uh, now, the trailer for this is more of a concept trailer than anything. It shows the, um, the kind of a, like a digital blueprint of a city. What's the name of the city again, uh, James? Lumias, I think. Lumias City. Yeah. I've not played Kalos, uh, so uh, this, so I don't have the nostalgia for this. But if you did play Kalos, uh, then that seems to be what this is targeting. So here's the thing: 
I don't have nostalgia for Gen 6, and I've seen a lot of people that feel the same way. But for me, Gen 6 always feel gle- well, felt like a generation that could that really needed that third game. Like, it needed Z. It needed to be fleshed out. It needed the story to be a bit different. Kind of like how Platinum did it for Generation 4, where the story was a lot better and, like, Sinnoh felt a lot more fully realized and that sort of thing. So when Z didn't happen, and it's blatantly obvious it was canceled last minute because, like, pretty much the Zygarde forums and whatnot were added to Generation 7 uh, as a separate thing, a lot of folks just pretty much gave up and assumed that we would never get a follow-up for Kalos like this, at least not for, like, decades, like... Like you said, most people expect this announcement to be a Generation 5 like remake or some sort of Legends game that dealt with Generation 5. And there were some people thinking, oh, maybe it'll be Generation 2 because we had Let's Go, which was another Generation 1 remake. So maybe it's time for Johto to get another thing. Yeah, so, Let's Go Johto. I didn't think of that. That could have been fun. But I will say that... I was talking with a friend about this like a few weeks ago where I was like, you know what game would actually really benefit from a Legends title? Generation 6. Because <laughs> I felt like the lore for Generation 6 has a lot to work with. Because like, okay, so it's basically Norse mythology, just Pokemon-ified. And uh, yeah, I'm actually really excited for this. Like, not just from the potential, oh, well, Zygarde's finally getting his own game. And that's like, genuinely something I'm, I'm looking forward to but also the core conceit is very different even from like legends arceus instead of it being oh you're it's basically just like uh before Cinna was developed and you're going all over the uh country and like uh dealing with s- stuff that way and this one it's like okay uh no uh the entire game takes place in lumio city the entire game takes place in Lumio City, and it's a and it's a truly urban Pokemon game. Whereas the closest we've gotten to something like that was, I'd say, like the Generation Three GameCube games, where you had a pretty much all the gameplay taking place in towns and like no routes or anything like that. But I'm curious to see how it'll work for uh, Z Day. Very curious. One thing that's also interesting about this is that this is slated for a 2025 release, so. Is this the first time that we're not getting a major Pokemon release in a given year? Because we all we've, well, we've talked about how they released Brilliant Diamond, la- Shining Pearl, Legends, and Scarlet Violet all within a calendar year. Go ahead and what were we going to say? Funny, because it used to be that we didn't necessarily get a Pokemon game every year. And then actually, the last time that we had a gap year was uh, 2015, because 2015 was when people assumed that we would get Pokemon Z. But they just skipped that year, and then we got Sun and Moon in 2016. And ever since then, we've got a mainline Pokemon game or a DLC for a mainline Pokemon game taking the place of that major release every single year since 2016. This is the first exception in almost a decade. And I think people are on board with it based on how Scarlet and Violet and Arceus, um, as much as we liked Arceus, it wasn't really in much of a better state performance-wise. Yeah. So it would be really interesting to see. And of course, there's always the um, the unknown question in the air, is this a Switch 2 title? Yeah, of course, it's an yeah, Switch. Yeah. You, 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 gotta, you gotta wonder, because if, if this was a cross-gen release, and just based off the uh, core conceit of the game being, oh, well, it's all taking place in a single city, you could... 
generally assume that would benefit from better hardware. If this is if this was a cross-gen release, then maybe it was originally going to be a late 2024 launched like a uh, release. But then with the rumors that's been going around where it's like, oh, well, the Switch 2 has been delayed to like March 2025. Maybe it's like, well, since this is cross-gen and we want this to release day and date on Switch 2, we're going to have to delay this until early 2025. Which, again, completely speculation. We don't know for sure what's going on, but it would not surprise me if that's the case. Here's how they're going to shock the world. People are going to be like, okay, this is going to be a title, probably going to... Maybe, maybe gonna uh, be compatible with a theoretical Switch Two um, that's releasing next year. Um, shock the world, and th- it'll be running at a stable thirty FPS, no drops. Hmm? We can ask him too much. <laughs> I, I'm hope. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. If it is actually a Switch Two title as well, screw thirty FPS. We're going 60. I, I, look, I didn't want to dream big. I, I, I was debating in my head whether I should say 30 or 60 for this one. So, yeah, I, I wanted to be realistic, but you're a dreamer. So, you know, we can rock with that, too. It's okay. The Switch 2 will obviously support a variable refresh rate. So even Ooh. if it does dip down to 40, it'll still be a much, much better experience. <laughs> for those that did play Gen 6, is that just James? Um, I I, I kind of dipped a little into Pokemon X, and I was like, uh, that, was, that was the telltale early sign that Pokemon was no longer for for me. <laughs> when I tried to dip into that, I'm like, I don't like this. But I was just going to ask, as someone who didn't play Gens 5 through 7 or 8, what does the A mean? Do we know? doesn't mean, uh, well, so... I mean, we don't really know what the Z means either, but is there any speculation on the A? Well, we know what the Z means because Zygarde. Okay, well, is, I mean, that's... Uh, and and then the Z even yeah. looks like Zygarde. It has, like, the same color scheme, the scales and all that. So it's obviously Zygarde. Uh, a, I believe there's a character in uh, Gen 6 who's called A, and he would make, he would make sense to be in... Uh, in the in the game in the game, yeah, they're just naming uh, ca- ca- characters letters now. Game Freak so well, easy we, now. We've already talked about characters that have number superscripts or whatever. Oh, that's true. So, yeah, well, so cut letters. from the same cloth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, obviously, twenty twenty five, and we didn't see any gameplay. We only saw like the concept of the Lumio City like blueprint so i'm sure we'll have this sprinkled in into upcoming nintendo presentations pokemon presentations throughout 2024 uh but yeah slated for our worldwide release in 2025 and we've got a teaser of what it is for gen 6 and we'll keep up we'll keep tabs on it as we proceed throughout the year This is another announcement staying on the uh, on the nintendo track we talked last week about obviously all the announcements coming out of the nintendo direct and we very specifically called out something that showed up in the Japanese Nintendo Direct, um, the Furyu title called Renatus. And then within the last week, NIS America announced that they will be launching Renatus in the for the West in fall 2024. So it's coming out in Japan in midsummer in July, mm-hmm. and then NIS America will be releasing this in the fall, uh, unspecified date. And this will be for it showed up on the Nintendo Direct, but it's also releasing for um, PlayStation consoles. So we got an announcement trailer for that from NIS America. And yes, it is coming westward. 
why it didn't show up in the Nintendo Direct, hard to say. Yeah, this PlayStation Switch. Okay, PC as well. Uh, <coughs> oh, is it, is, it, is it also PC? Yeah, PC as well. Okay, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just have to add that little icon on it. Yeah. So we'll do that. No, we did. It's, it's in the article. Oh, oh no! You're looking, oh, you're, oh, yeah, you're looking at the little platform the icons. Okay, yeah. got it. Okay. My guess is that the uh, the um, NIS America announced the PC version because they, they did, yeah. It. So so there, it's a little. We'll we'll get that added. But yeah, so mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch, PlayStation consoles, and PC um, for the West in the fall, or at least on consoles in Japan um, in the summer. This is another announcement from from Nexon. That's a that's a Korean publisher, right? So yep. this is this is a single player side game for the MMO Vindictus. This is a game called Vindictus Dying Fate. Defying Fate. 50... What? Defying Fate. Fate. Fate or Defying Fate. <laughs> I think I said the right thing, but maybe my enunciation was just wrong. Defying Fate. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is announced for PC and unspecified consoles. There will be a pre-alpha test on PC uh, on March 13th. I don't know any other details about like where that alpha test will be available. Um, and then when I saw that this was announced, and there's a trailer that goes along with it, and the trailer looks like, you know, kind of high fantasy. It looks almost late and soul-ish, which I'm not, I think Nexon had a hand in that too, maybe. Uh, no, that was NCSoft. Uh, and then I went to go ahead and like, oh, this is based on the MMO. I forgot about the MMO. Let me take a look at it. I guess it released in 2010 and it's on Steam and it doesn't have great reviews. And I know that's very like judging a book by its cover, but like, oh, I guess they must be doing well enough to decide to do a, um, a spinoff like single player title for this. Uh, no release window yet. Um, it's crazy yeah, that this is coming out now because like Vindictus was like one of those early like uh, korean mmos on steam i want to say it was like 2009 or 2010 it's been a while yeah it's, it's been, it's been yeah. a long time yeah like it, like even before steam like it had its own client kind of like you know how maple story did and all that stuff um and it was pretty popular like a, a, among people because it was like it was kind of like one of those early action rpg mmos and like when people like would party up and group up and a lot you know the it's kind of like that um Almost Monster Hunter esque uh, loop of like uh, uh, taking on big bosses together. Yeah, it was definitely uh, more on the like Fantasy Star yeah. Online side of the equation yeah. with because it was like okay, here's a stage and then there's a boss fight at the end. Right. So, mm-hmm. and and a lot of it is like you know um, hitbox related, like you get to actually dodge out of the way for a swing. Obviously, if your ping didn't align with everyone, if the if the servers, it didn't matter anyway. Um, and all that sort of sort of shit. Um, so a lot of like you, you'll see like the response to this from many people is like, man, that really takes me back because a lot of people did like try out Vindictus back in the day. It was definitely one of those early, early examples of kind of the power of like playing together with uh, with yeah. other people. I'm curious. Um, do we know if this is going to be free to play or if it's going to be a uh, premium? So good question. They don't know either. There's a Q and A thing on the on Steam. Yeah, like, I'm pretty, looking at the. Adapt. And they, I'm, and they, I'm, they said they don't. They're, they're still determining that whether it's free to play or, or, or price game. Yeah, I'm reading this, and it's like it, it's it's funny how it says, "Can I play with Steam Deck?" and says the pre-alpha test cannot be played on Steam Deck, which implies that they're probably going to support it for the full release, but just that they're not dealing with that shit with the pre-alpha. Which fair enough, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. 
It's it's also funny because like they also answer questions like, is this a Souls like game? Why ask that kind of question? It's so funny. It's like it's a it's a great Q and A because they're kind of they're very um, transparent. I guess is the word for it because even they're like uh, you know due to the nature of this game, they wanted to be more grounded and they're gonna they're gonna have more like less revealing outfits uh, for for it compared to like the original Vindictus because the original yeah. Vindictus you know definitely had like. They made money uh, by selling uh, very, you know, uh, aesthetically yeah. pleasing uh, outfit characters. It seems like a very specific thing to tackle up front. <laughs> well, like I mean, first <laughs> announcement of game. Well, the thing, the thing is, is that with the current state of things in South yeah. Korea, it's something that they do have to tackle. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, unfortunate. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I, I'm curious about this. Like, I remember playing like a like 20 hours of Indictus and having a good time of it. So I'll definitely yeah. try the pre-alpha. It's like, uh, yeah, hopefully it's just like an open pre-alpha. Cause I definitely want to give it a shot. Too, I, you, I think you might have to join the discord server. So I'm going to do that oh, okay. right now. Yeah, I, I'm I not know. sure. I'm not sure, but there is a discord server for it. I'm going to see if there's like more information there. Let's see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this is it, like, even the screenshots that like they, put up like one of them is definitely you know it's not a souls like game but it is definitely inspired some in some of the presentation uh by souls now, obviously they said you know it'll like have resemblances to other popular uh games as well so and they say uh, i guess if you're listening and you're still playing the original vindictus that just because they're releasing this does not mean they're ending the service of the original vindictus that is meant to exist alongside it um this game is primarily single player, but they do plan on adding multiplayer to the full release. They're still kind of, they don't know whether they're going to add PvP yet um, and all that stuff. So I recommend, you know, if you're interested in learning more about the nature of this game, I put a link to the Q&A on Steam on the, on the article. It is a pretty robust Q&A that answers a lot of questions that people might have about this. I'm, I'm kind of thankful that they did that. kind of wish, you know, more game announcements had like a Q and A style kind of thing going on. That's like kind of gets a a good insight on like what what this project. We also got an announcement of another isometric action RPG called Dragonkin: The Banished. And who is the publisher of this? Nacon. It's Nacon. Nason. We've yeah. talked about how that's pronounced, but I forget. Nacon. Uh, the French publishing group. Um, and the developer is Ico Software. And this is Dragonkin The Banish. It's going to be coming out on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. It is slated to come out in about a year, in February 2025. Uh, this is an isometric action RPG. It came out with a like a one-minute announcement trailer. And the main thing here that, the, like, we already talked about No Rest for the Wicked, another upcoming fantasy action RPG. This one here talks specifically about a city that grows and develops as you make decisions and discoveries throughout the game. So it seems like it's, you, you mentioned that that's kind of a component of, uh, it's a component of a lot of games, but including the rest of the Wicked, we saw it in Sandland as well. But here, it seems like it's a, a pretty big part of their press release is uh, the city that you're going to be going through. I'm trying to think of the city has a name to it. I couldn't see it if they, if they did. No, they, they just say, maybe you name your it. city grows. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and then the classes that they talked about, um, or the four heroes, are the Barbarian, the Witch, the Knight, and the Archer. So it's actually, when reading that, it actually makes me think more of a, like a um, gauntlet-like uh, 
rather yeah, than Diablo like yeah. just because it sounds like you take on each of these four roles in a in a multiplayer game. Also, the uh, a dying feature in video games, but this does support local co-op for up to two players and online up to four players. So if you are looking for in the market for a new local co-op uh, isometric ARPG, you know this is gonna offer. Which is, you know, you don't see that much anymore. You know, Diablo three did that with its console releases as well. I mean, Baldur's Gate three supports that That's if you're true. not playing on Series S. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Is that only up up to two people, right? For that one, as only well? up to two people. Yeah. Okay. That Which that game is uh, pretty CPU demanding, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's good to see that games here and there still support local co-op. Looking at you, uh, Dragon Ball uh, Sparking Zero. Oh, did they say they're not going to have local co-ops? Yeah, they or did. Not, not they, local co-op, I mean, versus. Yeah, they did say that there's no split screen now. That's... Everyone's and everyone's immediately immediately started looking at the Series S and being like, "You." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, because that that because like when you think about Budokai Tenkaichi, that series, like a lot of people have very fond memories playing with their friends at their when you know they're visiting their friends uh, to go play. So you know that is pretty. Kind of big for that series. Yeah. And the last game announcement that we have is a new Toho game. This is Toho Genso Wanderer Foresight. And I know that James has kind of educated me a little bit on the Toho um, kind of series before, how these are all effectively fan games in, in a way. Is the Gens- Genso Wanderer, is that like a subseries that ex- has existed before, or is this all kind of brand new? This has existed before. I know that the Yensa Wanderer series has been around for a bit. I remember playing the original, I think, on the uh, Vita or PS4, one or the other, and it's been around. I Let's see if there's a Wikipedia page. Uh, so, yeah, this has been announced for PC. It is coming out on May 15th. Um, I know it's like inspired by Shira and the Wanderer to some extent. Yeah, I was actually going to say, there's not a lot of gameplay in the announcement trailer. It's mostly dialogue, but the small bits of gameplay that it does show, I actually said like, oh, this looks like Mystery Dungeon-esque. So that seems like that's that's the style of of game it is for the the gameplay components. Okay, so it seems like it's a part of the Fushigi no Gensokyo series, which is, uh, yeah... uh, Let's see. Let's see. I'm trying to figure out when the first one ha- uh, happened, uh, but uh, I'm not finding too much information. They, 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 they do mention like the, in the description that like this title is a fan-made game based on the Dojin game uh, Toho Project by Team Shankai Alice. And okay, so uh, so Genso Wanderer was the third game in the series, and the first one to hit consoles, and it came out on. January 31st, 2014. So the most recent one, I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's like an actually totally new or if it's just like an updated version of uh, of the third game. Trying to figure it out. Need a Toho expert. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, I am not a Toho expert. Let's see if there there, is there a Steam page already. I think there is. Yeah. Let me uh, see. Okay, let's see. A new dungeon crawler RPG in the Genso Wonder series. So it seems like after like uh, Fushigi no Gens- uh, Gensokyo, they made, uh, well, three, they made this a separate uh, side series now. So kind of like how like uh, 
the Trail series after like Legend of Heroes Six just became its own thing. That makes sense. Seems like. I still don't know That's... which number this is, but it. I mean, yeah, it, it seems it seems interesting. I do not have the time to play on... this. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no worries. Uh, so it came out in two months on Steam. Right now, it is just PC exclusive, and it looks like the developer Aquastyle has released a handful of these uh, on Steam over the years. Twenty twenty one, Toho Genso Wanderer, Lotus Labyrinth R. Uh, mostly positive reviews, so it seems like they've done pretty well in their little niche. So after that, we've got a few updates for some upcoming games. Uh, some of these are things that we've kind of talked about kind of on a weekly cadence with previous podcasts. So we have another uh, preview video for Rise of the Ronin, which again is coming out in March. Uh, we've been kind of flip-flopping between their two series of trailers. They have their behind-the-scenes uh, kind of uh, series with the development team where first they talked about the history, then they talked about kind of like their combat inspirations. And then they've announced this more gameplay-focused vignette series, which is like the kind of cutscenes without any voiceover or dialogue. The first one they had last week or the week before, we talked about the world building. Uh, this one is a vignette series a video only about combat. So it's about two minutes just of pure uh, going over to different weapon styles, going over the range and um, melee uh, armaments that you can have. The only thing that I really captured out of here other than just all the combat animations is that it looks like it's borrowing from and maybe this was known and i just didn't capture it into watching this trailer is that when it shows the different weapons like katanas or spears it shows like the low mid high stances on each like each will have multiple combat styles so that's kind of something that is akin to the, the stances in neo um but yeah just it's nice just to have a gameplay trailer without you know hand holding or too much tutorialization but it kind of just shows all the all the armaments, the bayonets, the firearms. And will will Odachi be viable in this one, unlike Neo? Will what be viable? Odachi. Odachi. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I used so. Odachi in Neo too, and I had a great time with it. <laughs> the, se the secret, what the secret was, is that I used Tomfas, so I would basically whittle down their uh, their their bar with uh, the Tomfas, and then once it broke, I would switch to Odachi and just go sicko mode, and it worked out really well. <laughs> I still like that you can swim in this game, like under the water. Yeah. It's fun. We also have a the seemingly the last of the Yosef's Guide trailers for Unicorn Overlord, which again we already talked about how that has a demo available now, um, and it's coming out early next uh, this month. It is March. We're recording this on March second. Uh, it's, it's going to be out in six days, less than six time days. Of recording. So by by the time you're listening to this, it might be out already or out in just a couple of days. I gotta get through Rebirth, man. Yeah. Uh, so we we talked about how they are having like these um, written kind of news posts about the different aspects of the game, and they're following up those news posts with a video version in the form of Yosef's guide. So we kind of already talked about how these like the valor points, how the um, Combat works in terms of encountering enemies in the overworld, pressuring them, uh, and then the gambit system, the active and passive abilities. So a lot of that we kind of detailed last week on the podcast, and this is kind of just it being compartmentalized in a little four-minute uh, video. So it's nice because it shows you know some of the gameplay animations for uh, how combat executes automatically and things like that. But likely the last, uh, I'm guessing we might get a launch trailer, I suppose, uh, in an upcoming week. In the upcoming week, but this. You know, the game comes out next week. The next time we talk about this game, we will be uh, able to play it. So that'll be pretty fun. Outside of the demo, I mean. Yep. Which the demo itself is basically just like the the beginning of the game anyway. So. Mm -hmm. 
Damn, yeah, I didn't realize next week on the podcast we can talk about this. And then this is not really like a, a formal update, but coming out in 2024, we've talked about uh, extensively Metaphor Refantasio. This is from the like the from Atlas, from a lot of the creative minds behind Persona. Uh, so these basically the digital store pages for Metaphor Refantasio have gone up in the last week on Steam, Xbox, and PlayStation. And of course, along with these, they come with their little description. So it's kind of like, in a way, like a like a diet press release for the game, even though it's just the store page that's publicly facing. Um, the main thing here that I think Adam wanted to kind of cover was that on these game description for these, uh, on one of the key features, it says, go on quests, dungeon dive, and hunt for treasures by day, strengthen relationships, build bonds, and increase virtues by night. So it has kind of like the very, uh, I don't know if classic's the right word, very standard, it seems like Persona-esque. Um, I always feel kind of bad just saying like, oh, this is only like Persona, but... This point that the creator is a Persona, so I mean... Yeah, it's, and, it's, and it's the very natural launching point for it. But yeah, it seems like there's a clear delineation between uh, a day-night cycle and scheduling between... Powering up your combat capabilities. It's interesting because it's like it's an inverse, persona. right? Because usually yeah. in Persona, you do the, the relationship stuff, the Essling stuff by day, and then by night you do the, or later on in the day you do the dungeon diving stuff. So this one, this one is like the reverse of that, which is weird. <laughs> and, and then, uh, and otherwise, think, go for it. I was going to say, otherwise, just a lot of the boilerplate on there are key features like a battle system combining turn-based and real-time actions, a uh, mysterious and exciting story. The, the, yeah, the day-night thing was the key thing that I wanted to call out here that I saw was interesting. Yeah, I do. Uh, another key bullet point is like the, the Gauntlet Runner that we've seen in um, trailers and how you're going to use that to like, kind of travel the world. It says, to, it says to faraway dungeons and towns. And I wonder if there's like a, a, a resource spent when you're when you're traveling place to place, whether that's like you have to like consume like a portion of your day to go or multiple portions of the day to to travel places, yeah, with that gauntlet runner. I wonder if that's a, also a factor to consider in that regard in the game. I'm really curious just to see like the straight up like gameplay footage of like what an actual like quote unquote day in this game looks like. What you do in a day. Yeah, and still no release window. Yeah, I assume this will be like in that October, November time frame. Yeah, so they they mentioned fall twenty twenty four before. Mm -hmm. And then with that, we go into kind of like our uh, date rundown, and some of these are kind of announcements as well. But I've ordered these here by date. Uh, so we talked over the last couple of years about the um, the spiritual successor to Shadow Hearts. This is the Penny Blood. And it also is getting very similar to Aiden Chronicles being the spiritual successor to Suikoden, getting its little like companion game in Aiden Chronicles Rising. Penny Blood is getting a companion companion game called Penny Blood Hellbound. Uh, it was announced that Penny Blood Hellbound will enter early access on March seventh. So early access is going to be a common theme, I feel like, throughout the year because we've already talked about it uh, for No Rest for the Wicked. Penny Blood Hellbound is going into early access in less than a week. And then there's one other game on the list that is also entering early access. So that is something that's just going to be uh, more and more common as time goes on. That's fine. I guess we, yeah. we, we, we could talk about this next week, too. You know, if someone if someone's manages to freeze time and get a chance to look at it. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, maybe Adam, I know, is very interested in this. So maybe he'll jump into it. I don't know about but the uh, early access thing, like, is probably just wait till for release of this part or this side game. 
I, yeah, I will and, say that I have a buddy of mine that uh, they uh, actually did uh, donate to the uh, Kickstarter. So they got access to this a few months ago and they seem oh, to nice. enjoy what they played. So I'm not going to play this. I have too much, <laughs> too much else to play, but uh, I'll be able to probably be decent. Yeah. yeah. So whenever it's finished up, I'll definitely give this a shot before the proper Putty Blood main game comes out. Um, but, you know. Uh, it's interesting where Natsumi Atari is uh, going because they're developing this too. They developed the Uden Rising and they're also developing Reynadis. So they're busy. <laughs> that studio's busy. And then one thing that is also, I don't know how I feel about this, but I, and I, it's not the first time we've seen this, but if you want to get access to the early access, but you didn't support the Kickstarter, it's $20. And they do say the price will increase once the game leaves early access. So it's like an early access discount if you want access to the full game. I think that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you can always just buy it before it comes out too. Like right. Yeah, it's like it's before. like it's like a cheap pre-order that allows you to get a, you know a hands-on demo. All right, Chow. Genshin Impact is getting another update on March thirteenth, four point five. The only thing I know about that thing is that they changed. They added this one new wishing system for people that have trouble getting certain old units. That seems like a good thing on paper. It is a good thing, but. It only took them nearly three years to add something like this. It's kind of like I'm so turned off by it. Okay, what is this? Okay, I'm reading a chronicled wish, so it'll just have like a lot of um, old characters in it, uh, pretty much in the pool. It has like three um, characters, I think. I think it, is it three characters or I don't know. It's like a it's a set of three characters of each, and it's like you could pick which one I think. And then oh, and, and if you and if you, and if you roll the five star in it, it'll be them. Yeah. Okay. Because people have been whining for years that you know it's like, oh, I just wanted Mona, but because she's not limited, there's never a rate up for her, so it's very hard to get her or something like that, you know. And same with the weapons too, because when the game first started, I actually rolled on the weapon banner, which is known to be the biggest scam of the series, because you, I think there was one whale in China that spent about fifteen thousand USD, and he still couldn't get like one copy of that weapon because he keep losing the fifty-fifty. Holy shit. And then eventually they added a system where they're like, okay, you can pick that weapon the, from the pity pool if you failed three times. Yeah, that, thanks know. for the money, by the way. <laughs> but it only took like something that disastrous to happen before they put some changes because it was a pretty bad PR, you know, from someone talking shit about your game from the rolling system, right? So, yeah. So basically when they added that, that kind of fixes a lot of things, but... Oh, I already spent money on it, so that's why people say never roll on the weapon banner unless you really want to flex, right? Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't know much about this patch because I didn't read too much into it. There was like all this drama with Genshin for the last few months because they were only giving people like free wishes for the Lantern Right event, which is like the biggest event of Genshin usually. It's like here, thanks for the free years. Here's free pulls. <laughs> And they caught a lot of outrage from that, right? Because I, I feel it's just the wording was a little bad, because it's just like, thanks for all the support for all the years, and there's like a free pull in or something like that. Yeah, so Are you I still guess up to date on Genshin, or no? Um, I'll just log in when there's a cool character, that's about it. But I, the only thing I do these days in Genshin is just, I log in, clear the Spiral Abyss, log out, just collecting the free gems, and if there's a cool character that's in, I'll come and roll for it. Like, Fontaine's great, but like, I don't know, I'm just kind of tired of the open world formula. You know, like, 
just coming to like Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, it's like it's like a breath of fresh air because it's different and it's cool, you know. But for Genshin, it's like I don't know, I just not feeling into it. Even though they added like Final Fantasy awesome. cool, Genshin uncool. Look, I'm tired of I'm tired of this business model. This Getcha business model is driving me crazy. Okay. Uh-huh. So- then who, will who's you stop play playing Zelda yeah. Zero for us? That's right. Will you stop playing? Josh too. He already wrote the preview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Child's like, I'm retiring. I'm done. Child being like, hey, somebody else has written about this game, so I'm just never going to touch this game ever. Awesome. I refuse to touch this ZZZ. I'm falling asleep already. Yeah, so this new character card that gets you is apparently Chi- Chiori. She's a five-star Geo wielder whatever geo sword wielder um and i guess part of this update is also gonna let you manage like a potion shop um and yeah great <laughs> i think it's, 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 a, little updates, bit, it's a little bit like um what was the name of that game that that um item management ten million years ago um fuck i forgot what it was called yeah, it was like it was, like, it was a management. Capitalism, ho. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Oh, uh, Reciter. Reciter, yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Look, so I, I think that game's quite make quite the scene. So yeah, apparently a Reciter, like part of this update is going to be like a Reciter, Reciter type activity. Well, there there was like a couple of events in Genshin before where you manage this this flea market, and it just takes a while. It's like I was trying to like binge it. To get like the free gems, but it was too late. It was like <laughs> the event took like hours to finish. <laughs> it just wasn't enough. Nice. Oh, but yeah, they they have events like this before, from managing a fleet market, and there's a better version in Honkai where you're, you manage this uh, street where they were like selling stuff. And the most hilarious thing is they have like these flying cranes. Doing like Uber Eats or something for people, <laughs> and they keep going to the wrong direction. <laughs> like, I think like everything's gonna go better in Honkai from the from the, from the outsider's perspective. Oh, it just seems like... basically, basically Genshin's a beta test for for all the bad stuff that happens in Genshin. They'll fix it in Honkai, yeah. and then when people whine enough about the fix that they had in Honkai, they'll put it back to Genshin. That's basically the vicious cycle right now. I, I guess also of uh, on Mihoyo news this week. I guess they launched part two of Honkai Impact Third earlier this week too. I don't play that game, but apparently, it's like a big update that like overhauls the game pretty much from top to bottom. Yeah, I, I actually have never heard anyone say anything good things about Honkai Impact Third until like after Genshin it, like Impact came out, and they're like, oh, they all went back to playing it, and then all of a sudden I see it like in top of the revenue charts and stuff. It's like, but when, before that, before Genshin came out, I had never heard anyone spoken anything good about it. Awesome. At least in my perspective. <laughs> kind of funny how perspective changes very fast. Also coming out just a day after the Genshin update, we're getting a version 1.1 update for Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. And uh, this does this add? I know there's two characters that have yet to be added. As far as I can tell, this doesn't add a character no, to Death that, and that, Boss. The two characters doesn't add till April. Yeah, that's the gotcha. April update. Um, yeah, so this, this is this part has part level of this 200 update. boss. Yeah, part, part I, I'm of trying to fight update. the level 250 version in the mobile game. Yeah. Uh, the version 1.1 update, part of it is going to be this new Lucilius endgame boss that they 
previewed in the January live stream, pre-release stream. Um, uh, but they'll announce more details about this uh, 1.1 update uh, on March 14th. I mean, no, not March 14th, uh, March 9th, which is the anniversary stream. So next week, uh, they'll say more about what's in this 1.1 update, but part of it is this new endgame boss. Um, people are hyping it up. I hope it has the same bullshit from the mobile games, the 12 labors. Um, So in in the mobile game, it's like, you have to deal with these apples of Eden. It's like a debuff that they gave it to you, and um, basically use like a debuff skill. Your character ends up with five debuffs, and you have a hard time getting rid of it, right? But if you decide to like buff yourself, you become a zombie, so if you decide to use a potion, you just kill yourself immediately. Oh, that's funny. So (laughs) yeah. It's like these little quirky mechanics. So we'll see if, uh, like how many of the mechanics that has in a browser game move over to Relink. Because we, we do know that it does have some way, shape, or form its 12 labors mechanic from the sub-objectives in the, in the footage that was shown, but we don't know exactly how they're going to be implemented. Yeah, it would be crazy, because that's a lot of mechanics that's all in at once for a mobile game. It's like a wall of text and telling you to clear all this shit. So, well, I, I'm hyped for it. I want to see how it goes. Yeah, I want to see how it goes. So now moving on to uh, later in March. So this one we kind of talked about last week, how we talked about the Italian souls like Inatria, the last song, was originally slated to release the day of Elden Ring's expansion, which would have been June 21st. So on February 20th, the developer team behind Anatria the Last Song, JAMA Games, said they're going to launch on June 21st. And then the day after, From Software said, well, Set of the Erd Tree is also coming out on June 21st. And then the uh, we talked about the meme of the like the Undertaker behind uh, whoever, whoever the other wrestler is. I don't, I don't watch wrestling. Uh, saying like the Elden Ring DLC decided just to kind of crowd them out. And they kind of took to their Discord channel. They announced this in kind of a strange way. They made an official statement on their Discord. So I popped in the Discord, grabbed the text and popped out. Um, they put they tweeted on their game Twitter page uh, to go visit the Discord for a new update when they could have just tweeted it. And like, all right, this seems silly. Then I went in there. And then this is an announcement of an announcement. On March 21st, during the future game show stream, which I forgot what's happening, they will announce a new release date for Natria, the last song. So chances are it's going to be pushed back to after Elden Ring, Shadow of the Earth Tree. And not a surprise, and it seems like a smart move. Um, the way they announced it was a bit strange, but other than that, makes yeah, sense to me. It, it, it's just, it's kind of very weird and also just like. I think it's genius, uh, okay? I have never seen people like delaying their game in case of like a major competition comes out. Well, uh, I, I, they're also waiting a full month to like just say that it's going to be delayed. So, like, a, a lot of people don't like actually know it's going to be delayed as far as I know because of the strange way they announced this. Because yeah. they announced the date, and then they said, we have an announcement. And then the announcement was, we're going to talk later about a new date. And it's like, well, what's the new date? Like, you already had a date in mind. Why do you, why, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a bit strange. Well, at least I'm not pushing it ahead when it's not, I don't know, finished, maybe. Well, it is also strange, too, because at least they rectified part of this. Like, the, like when, I went to, when they first announced this thing on Twitter, on their Twitter bio, it says that it's still coming June 21st. So it's like, okay. But then they took that off. Is this okay? Great. But then their pinned tweet is still that June twenty first date. So, uh, yeah, oh well, it is what it is. 
on March 22nd, we're going to get the release of Reverse Collapse Codename Bakery. This is, I believe, a tower defense game that came from the original Mobile Girl, uh, Mobile RPG Girls Frontline. Oh, here. So it is from the creators of Girls Frontline. It's more of an XCOM rather than a tower defense game. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, apparently a remake of their first ever project, which is called Bakery Girl. So it's not tower defense. It's more like an XCOM strategy game ish. That's neat, and it's a it's a premium title, right? Not free to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. It's a it's a it's buy to play. They said it'll have uh, over sixty mainline stages across different story branches. That is estimated to provide around a hundred hours of gameplay. Jeez, part of the developers. So, <laughs> um, and for 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 us, Chao, they uh, have uh, they put Japanese voice acting in. They have uh, seiyu such as Ayane Sakura. Ayuki, Yuyu Ishikawa, Katsuyuki Konishi, and Hiromu Mineta. All big names. Big names. <laughs> so, um, when it comes to watching anime, me and my friend always meme that if mm-hmm. Konishi is voicing this character, he's going to be the ultimate major villain. Maybe. Um, the, 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 it'll have a, let's see, a, a pretty, a, an 18% off discount when it goes live on Steam to be bought. But, so you can get the game for on on launch for about twenty bucks for the base game, and then there's a digital deluxe edition that uh, includes like some outfits for the characters, um, a digital art book, and the game's OST. And you can get that for about thirty three bucks USD deluxe edition when it comes out due to that discount. So we also have like an announcement trailer or a release date trailer for it, and um, you know just. That this is this is a game that's been kind of been cooking over the years because they've been uh, very, they've done closed tests and they've also participated in like numerous like next fest events from Steam, so they've gotten like a lot of feedback from players to just make it an even better game. This has been in the works for quite a while, so hopefully this is, it's not a great release date, um, but hopefully the, the, for the people who do pick it up at launch, they have a great time and you know if. There's some some free time in the year, and this turns out to be a really good game. Give it a shot. Another game entering early access. This is a game that was announced at the Nintendo Direct last week. This is the um, follow-up to Underlilies, Magnolia, Bloom in the Mists. This will enter early access uh, on March 25th. So let's see. Yeah, so similar to um, The Rest for the Wicked, the early access, of course, is Steam only, even though the game itself is slated to release um, late. Let's see. We have the release date. We so, have the so, early. So the, ahead, the way that the early access uh, thing on Steam is uh, phrased is a little bit weird. So early access itself releases on March 25th on PC. And then they said that it's going to be at least six months in early access but depending on feedback, they might extend it to being a full year in early access. So they're currently planning to release it like out of early access at the end of this year. But if they feel like it's necessary, they're they're only aiming for the end of the fiscal year. That's gotcha. it, it, yeah, it's a bit weird. I mean, yeah, at least at least they're very transparent about it. It's like you know, we'll see how it goes. It's all based on like you know how. I'm sh- yeah. yeah, I'm sure it'll be like it, it won't require too much because like people like Ender Lilies, it seems to be more of the same. So it's like, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, 
this is an interesting one. Uh, Biomutant announced a Switch port. This is the, this is the open world RPG from Experiment 101 and THQ Nordic that originally released in 2021. Uh, I said Nordic again. Nordic. Was that the one that George reviewed? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so they if I remember correctly, um, he didn't like it. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, they announced a Switch version at some point last year, and we have a news article that says it was going to launch for Nintendo Switch on November 30th. I, I need to follow up with Adam, maybe, because I can't figure out where that announcement was made, and they never really announced a delay. It just never came out. And then they're now announcing that Biomutant's Nintendo Switch version will release on May 14th. So it was announced previously. We had a date that didn't seem to be valid, and now it's coming out on May 14th. Uh, and this came to this includes all any of the DLC that was added to the game post-launch. Uh, and also it was released on like the current current gen consoles in late 2022. Uh, yeah, it wasn't that well received, but I had some interesting ideas and it'll be available on Switch. Just one of those strange, like, did you know this is available on Switch? <laughs> Just interesting stuff that gets ported. Is that a very like, technical game? Like, is it like very graphical? I don't know. It's open exactly. world. So yeah, it's pretty, I, yeah. it's, and if I remember right, one of the things they said when it was being developed is that it was like a team of like 35 or 40 people. So it was a yeah. decently small team for an open world game. So not bleeding edge, but when anything, even something like this, I'm like, how will that run on Switch? I'm not sure. It's interesting because the, like, the, the trailer that they released uh, for the Switch release, um, they said all that the gameplay is recorded on from Switch and that footage is 60 FPS. Oh, huh. Oh. Well, may, maybe we'll be an optimist and say this game might be a surprising good Switch port like the Nier Automata one. Keep our eyes up. Here's another one of our early access discussions. So, and the same announcement for um, from Nikon Nissan that announced uh, Dragonkin the Banished. We also got more details on the upcoming, previously announced Greedfall Two. I forget if the subtitle was already announced, but it's called Greedfall Two: The Dying World. This is from Spiders. The original game was published by Focus Interactive. Focus Home. What is Focus called now? They just recently changed their name again. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. They were Focus Home Interactive, and then they were just Focus Interactive, and they changed their name again. And I don't remember. Let me Google this. It's like pretty <laughs> recent, not... Yeah. Fuck. Well, now, they're, now they're Focus Entertainment. Okay, God. there you go. Um, but that's kind of a tangent because Nissan ended up publishing, uh, purchasing Spiders, the development studio, so they're, not, they're now publishing Greedfall 2. Um, Greedfall 2 is a prequel to the original game. The original game was kind of like a Bioware-esque RPG where you create a character, you encounter like four or five party members, you have a little bit of non-linearity in terms of like how you partake in the story and you end up having like a bond system with your party members, etc. This game is a prequel and based on the way they're describing it, I don't know if you create a character because the in the the announcement trailer for this is a cinematic a CG trailer featuring a uh, a female native to the island here for D. So this is before any of the events of the original game took place. And the accompanying text for this talks about playing as a native islander. It's po it's possible that you can choose what this islander looks like. Uh, it, it just, I don't, I can't get a good latch on whether you have a bespoke role assigned to you or if you have a custom character that you can make, but we'll see. The interesting thing is that this is launching in early access, um, this summer and then launching at a, on a later date for consoles and PC. They don't say if the later date is this year, they just say at a later date. So this is game number three that we've talked about this, uh, I think number three. This podcast that is entering early access first. So kind of an interesting decision. Uh, it's our first time that this 
studio has published a game under this new publisher. I don't know if Nason has a lot of experience with early access. They might be just trying it out. It's a bit of an unknown. Um, and it's a single player RPG that I'm not sure early access would. It's just interesting. I guess I don't. I'm trying to make a judgment call on it, but I'm struggling to come up with like, is this good? Is this bad? Is this weird? I don't know. But I'm sure that title will drive Adam crazy with that one word greedfall with the capital F in the middle. Oh yeah, we had a we had a little side tangent. Um, so, uh, for any of you that have a blog or anything, when games use either a Roman numeral or an Arabic two or three or whatever, uh, greedfall two apparently does it both ways. They use either the greedfall uh, Roman numeral two or the Arabic two. Uh, and that's just, I assume, for for SEO. That way, people can search it either way and find their game. But we to, we try to be consistent with what the publisher uses when we put the games in our system. And we're like, should this? Which? How should we call this one? How, how should we capitalize it? Um, I'm pretty excited for this. Greedfall One, I thought was one of those games that was it wasn't it was an average game, but it showed a lot of potential. So I'm I'm excited for a, a follow up to that where they can realize the potential. There's just two things that keep me a little bit more. Um, anxious is too strong a word, hesitant, is that I felt the same way about Elex, and then Elex 2 was worse than the first game. And then this has the whole fact that it's under a different publisher now, so I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, I will probably not partake in Early Access, but I'll keep an eye on it just to see how what the, what the like feedback is. Um, but I'll the, pretty much any of these games in Early Access, I've got enough games on my plate that i'll just wait for the full release and i'm guessing for this one it'll be next year but they didn't specify that they just said at a later date we have an announcement of a localization of the switch ports for hyper dimension hyper dimension neptunia rebirth trilogy so i i honestly struggled to parse this a little bit because there's so many games in the series the rebirth trilogy is already on switch in and other consoles in Japan, they're being brought over to the West for Switch in 2024, but not the PlayStation versions. And that's kind of how I parsed it. I'm not sure what the decision making before that was, but they've a few of the other Hyper Dimension Neptunian games have been ported to Switch and must have done pretty well, including like Sisters versus Sisters recently. So now the Rebirth trilogy will also be available on Switch in the West um, later this year. Hello, this is Adam. I'm usually a participating member of the podcast, although I was absent today. However, here I am editing in post, and I wanted to correct the record on some of the Neptunia details because Brian got them wrong. The announcement is that Neptunia Rebirth 1, Rebirth 2, and Rebirth 3 have been announced for Nintendo Switch in both Japan and the West. The Japanese versions will come out on May 23rd. The Western versions have not been dated. Now, in Japan, the three games will also come to PlayStation 4. In fact, the first game is already on PlayStation 4. The second two games are not. However, the first game never made its way west, and the second and third games, Idea Factory International has announced that those will also not make their way west for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, Kind of a side note to that is that Neptunia 1 did get a PlayStation 5 version called Neptunia Reverse, and that game already released worldwide. Um, but you won't be able to get the PlayStation 4 versions in the West for some reason. That's it. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. They're, they're prepping whenever they announce the new mainline Neptunia game for real. When they have the main bad guy, custom fairware. Wait till it gets sued by, by some aren't, big publisher. Aren't we, getting, aren't we getting that new Mono Monogatari game this year? 
uh in japan i think i don't, I think it's this year i forgot yeah we haven't seen they're... anything about it yet so i'm no. curious uh, yeah i don't know um we'll see i don't i even i didn't even know what a fucking new neptunia storyline would okay, i have totally lost track so, of them because there's so <laughs> much there's so much that's happened between like the last main line and then this new one in the game industry that like i don't know what you make fun of because like it's like it's somehow gotten like there's ten new fires that happen in the game industry. Um, they they should that. they just have they should <laughs> so have a like... bit. They should have a bit where they add in a, a a representation of Google Stadia and then just immediately kill her off. Oh damn! <laughs> that that'd be savage. You also have um. Yeah, it would be in line. It would be in line. It, it would would it would be in line with the types of jokes they they like to make. Yeah. So. But I don't like I like I, I'm sure they would somehow try to poke fun at AI. Um, I don't know what else you think of the current lawsuit that, that's going with uh, layers again. There, there's and then there's top and there's this general state of the industry of like so many fucking people getting laid off. I don't know. Like, everything's on fire. <laughs> well, they wouldn't they wouldn't touch that part of it because the layoffs aren't happening in Japan. So I guess. that kind of covers us for like the date rundown for the rest of the year uh, that we know so far. We do have one final note here on our podcast doc for announcement. And that is um, the producer of Harvestella, the Square Enix like farming sim action RPG hybrid that released in 2022. Daisuke Taka is leaving Square Enix. Uh, he'll be formally leaving, formally leaving the company at the end of April. He has not announced like where he's going or what his follow-up plans are. Uh, so obviously we wish him the best of luck. Harvestella is one of those games where it was in the middle of that deluge of kind of those double A square titles that had a mismatch of where they were launching. This one happened to be Switch and PC. Uh, I know James and I both played this and both thought pretty fondly of it. Uh, I have not actually finished it yet. I only put like 20 okay. hours into it, but I I did like what I played and everyone I know that's gotten around and actually finished it. It's like it's one of those games where it's not perfect by any means, but it's it's got a lot of sauce. It's got a lot of sauce. It, it gave me, I'll just put it this way, it gave me a lot of near vibes when I played through it. And it's, it, it I, my hour count on this was something like 80 hours. Like, it's a long game, oh. uh, which I know is par for the course, seemingly. But it's, it, I enjoyed it way more. I, I got it on a whim, and I enjoyed it way more than I was expecting to. Um, it's got a lot of fun story moments. It's got a lot of poignant, kind of sad, bittersweet moments. But also, like, it rebounds those with happy, like, jubilant moments after the after the fact. Uh, the farming sim elements, I'm not much of a farming sim player, so I can't really compare those. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It's like kind of like this hybrid. It, I think it leans more towards the action RPG than it does farming sim, which is why it spoke to me. But if you're trying to, if you want to play like something that was more reminiscent of Harvest Moon or something like that, probably probably not as uh, in-depth. But obviously we wish uh, Mr. Taka the best. And maybe we'll see if these get ever, if this game ever gets ported to um, uh, Sony or, or Xbox platforms. Yeah, best of luck on whatever the decides to do next, you know. Produced you know, Harvestella, pretty solid title, but also like also was uh produced a game that I, I used to play and was fond of uh, another Eden. Um the the quite a consistent track record of like backing producing like interesting projects. I guess he. I, I, now that I'm reading this more carefully, he says he he revealed that he has not decided on his future plans yet. Yeah. Not that he hasn't revealed them, he hasn't decided. Yeah. He admits that leaving the company without a clear future is very reckless, but I guess he just knows that it's time for a change. And we've all kind of been there. Yeah. Yep. 
And that covers us for all the news topics of this episode of the TetraCast. And we already kind of talked about all the things we could potentially talk about next week, not least of which being the release of Unicorn Overlord. At the time we um, record, that game will have been out like a day. So we'll see if we're in a place to talk about that next week. But lots of games coming out in early March and in April, as you all know. Uh, obviously, all the uh, reviews and guide pages about the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, as those as listeners play through that, are up on the website at rpgsite.net. Go do give um, Josh's review a read-through. And then we will almost be certainly talking about that game uh, later in the year as it comes towards end-of-the-year discussions. Uh, you can follow RPG Site on all the social media platforms. Just search for RPG Site on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you should be able to find us. You should be able to find us on Discord at discord.gg slash RPG Site or hit the link at the top of our homepage. Uh, am I missing anything? I don't think so. I don't have to continue our rebirth playthroughs. So the mm-hmm. faster this is done, the sooner we can get back. You know what I'm there saying, Chow? Look, I've been I've been committing a lot of time in four different things. Okay, I'll do my best, but I put your... I make sure that I put at least five hours in each day. At least five hours. How's your uh, How's your Grand Blue Guide going? I Blue am guide. still not touching the end game content. There you go. All right, but until you hear from us all next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you.